piddle, piddle, piddle. Hey, piddle, piddle, yo, ho, ho. Ho, ho, Christmas 250 podcast. Hey, piddle, 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 yo. Ho, ho, ho. Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast. Look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. And sometimes the bottom 100 as well. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Darren, that ho, ho, ho really, really frightened me. Um, <laughs> it's, it's scary. Um, Which is appropriate for the theme of the episode that we're discussing today. Yes, it is. Um, yes, because we have a special This Just In entry, a new arrival um, on one of the lists of the 250, either the top 250 or the bottom 100. Uh, that is Sophia Takal's uh, 2019 feminist slasher movie, uh, Black Christmas. Um, and to join us for that discussion, we have two fantastic guests. First of all, we have returning guest, Dr. Bernice Murphy, um, who joined us earlier in the year to discuss the very esteemed Seven and the somewhat less esteemed Wicker Man. Thank you, Bernice. Hi, hello, everybody. Um, and we also have a new guest, the fantastic Joey Kyo, who I believe is the news editor at uh, Wicked Horror TV and has written for a variety of websites, including Birth, Death, Movies, The List Daily and Vague Visages. How are you, Joey? Hi. First person to ever pronounce my surname right. Oh, sorry. Oh, I, oh, I'm not sorry, actually. I'm so, used to, I'm so used to mispronouncing things that it's just reflexive. It's just English and American people just say Kyog and everything. So it's great. It's great to hear it properly. This, this is... Darren, I'm so proud of you. So you, you, you don't realize how, 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 how much of like a, a big deal this is for, for, for Darren to pronounce a, a, a person's name right. A name properly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yes, so we are discussing uh, Sophia Tocall's, um 2019 Bloomhouse Horror, um, The Black Christmas, which is an interesting movie in several respects. It's worth probably just giving a very quick introduction to the movie before we jump into talking about it. The origin of the film um, arguably begins back in 2018 uh, when Jason Bloom, who is the head of Bloomhouse Productions, uh, got called out in an interview for the fact that despite the fact his studio had produced nearly 100 movies, not one of them had had a female director. Bloom responded to that with uh, perhaps the least graceful answer imaginable, which was that he didn't know any women who directed horror. Um, and to be fair, when he was called out and he actually did the right thing, Bloom actually put effort in and got in touch with female directors that he'd worked with or that he was familiar with from working in horror and asked them what projects that they would like to work with. Apparently, he approached Sophia Tical, who had worked with Bloomhouse on one of their Into the Dark specials. I believe it was New Year, New You, which was a series of seasonal horror television films, feature-length television films, uh, looking at basically a series of holidays, and asked Tical what she would like to do. And he said, well, actually, we've got um, this property, Black Christmas, which we bought the IP for. And would you like to make a movie of it? And there's just two conditions. Uh, the first one is that you have to stay within budget, which is grand. The second one is that it has to be in theatres by December 13th, no matter what. Would you like to do it? And Sophia Tickell is like, that sounds rather tense, but yes, I'm going to do it. Um, and basically the movie went into production. It was shot in New Zealand. Um, the cast and crew apparently had a fantastic time doing it. And it was released. And it was released and given that we're talking about on this podcast, there was somewhat of a reaction to it, uh, vocally and online. Now, to be fair, the movie did garner something of a mixed critical response. Um, there were critics who hated it, critics who admired what it was attempting and didn't really connect with it, and critics who loved it. However, it generated a particularly passionate response, I think, from a certain kind of audience member, which perhaps explains why it is currently sitting on the bottom 100 movies of all time on IMDb at number 75, Currently one below the 2006 Wicker Man, starring Nicolas Cage. 
and one above I Know Who Killed Me, um, the wonderful Lindsay Lohan movie. And I wish audience members could see Bernice and, and Joey's reaction to this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, actually, you don't have to make like a a a, a movie um, with kind of feminist themes or something pro Erdogan to get on on the bottom one hundred. There's a strange sort of a like like they don't overlap um, generally, but uh, it's it's a it's an odd list, the bottom one hundred. But the, but this this is very kind of typical um, of it, isn't it? It, it is indeed. Well, I mean, it's notable that like Bloomhouse have a reputation for putting out fairly cheap and fairly poorly reviewed movies. Films like, for example, Truth or Dare, arguably, um, or even if you want to go to uh, movies like Fantasy Island is another IP recycled movie, which was PG-13, which was not very good. But I think it's notable that this is the movie from Bloomhouse that ended up on the bottom 100. Um, but I actually got in touch with Joey because um, I know Joey is uh, one, one of the great Irish horror writers, first of all. Uh, but I know that she's also a big fan of this, I believe. Um, so do you remember when you saw this uh, first, Joey? Did you see it on initial release? Did you have to wait for it? So come- I watched this for work um, to review it. And that was, you know, I loved it. And I went and watched it the next weekend on a Saturday morning by myself alone in the theater because I loved it so much. <laughs> it just, I mean, finding out that it didn't, that it rated lower than Fantasy Island and Truth or Dare, like that just makes me so angry because those movies are just so despicable I just watched both of them purposely um because I was wanted to watch you know bad movies for fun and they're not even fun they're like boring and just stupid and there's no they're not scary I mean like Black Christmas is scary it's PG-13 and it's scary because it's supposed to be for teenage girls and I feel like they achieved that I just the hatred for it I just don't understand there's so much worse even as you said particularly from Bloomhouse now, Blue Mouse has kind of a long tradition of doing these kind of cheap movies. And again, like, to be fair, it's interesting. Blue Mouse have in recent years kind of branched out and they've started doing socially conscious horror. So they did Get Out back in 2017, which got a Best Picture and Best Director nomination for Jordan Peele. And they did this year, they did The Invisible Man, um, starring Elizabeth Moss and directed by Lee Wannell, uh, which is one of the best movies of the year. And also did not appear on the IMD 250, um, because I suspect for the same reason this appeared on the bottom 100. And it's fascinating that this movie is the one that, that kind of got singled out because it is it's not necessarily one of the cheap ones. It's not necessarily like a truth or dare. It's not a disposable one. It's one that Bloom basically chose to do because of its socially conscious themes, uh, which makes it kind of interesting that this attracted the level of ire that it did as compared to something like, say, Songbird or Artemis Fowl or whatever. Well, but Bernice, so- oh, sorry. I mean, presumably the, the intellectual property, like I, I, I know it, 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 it was a movie that had been made before. Um, I'm assuming that the early iterations of this were 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 quite different. I mean, who 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 was it who who kind of created this version? I guess. Um, okay, so very very brief introduction. I should probably actually hand over to Bernice because oh, yeah, she probably yeah, has absolutely. a better grounding. Uh, when we did the, when we did the I think when we did I can't remember which movie we did, but I think Bernice actually included Black Christmas as one of her recommendations, the Bob Clark version from nineteen seventy four. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh... 
it's a film that got kind of overshadowed by Halloween, but I think Black Christmas, the original was 74. Bob Clark, yep. but better known for um, A Christmas Story and other films like that. The Canadian. And Porky's. Um, and the bottom 100s, uh, Baby Geniuses and Baby Geniuses 2. Oh, well, I, I, yeah, I didn't know his oeuvre was so extensive, <laughs> but um, essentially the Canadians actually, the stealth, in their very stealthy Canadian way, kind of invented the, uh, the, the modern slasher film. So a lot of the visual vocabulary of the slasher film that uh, is generally attributed to John Carpenter and Halloween which is of course an amazing film um, was actually pioneered particularly the killer's point of view was pioneered by Bob wow. Clark four years earlier in Black Christmas Black Christmas I should say as well I'm not a huge fan of slasher films it's a bit like and this will I know really annoy some people I've never gotten into Italian giallo just does not inform me I've tried just you know Suspiria is beautiful to look at no actually prefer the remake um but uh, it and Halloween, this film and Halloween, are the original Black Christmas and Halloween are for me just both superb films. The thing about the black, the original Black Christmas is it's got a fantastic cast. It's got Margot Kidder as a devil may care alcoholic, uh, you know, sorority girl. I mean, you do, you want to watch that even without knowing what happens in the film. It's got Olivia Hussey. Uh, it's got Art Hindle, the great Canadian uh, character actor, and lots of other people. Like I think Keir Delia is in it from two thousand one. Yes, he plays Peter. Um, and again, this is after two thousand one, which is a very strange career trajectory. It for is. Him. I did wonder what brought him to this point. Is it a bit like Janet Lee went from Psycho to being in you know Night of the Lapis six? years later uh that kind of trajectory but it's a really good film it holds up really well it has a genuinely good twist at the end uh which maybe seems a little bit old hat if, because if you've seen a lot of slasher films but at the time it was kind of one of the, the first really um and it's got characters you genuinely care about that you're you're really upset when they get killed it's also mainly thanks to Margot Kidder, um, who gives a really brilliant comedic performance. It's a, it's often a very funny film. Um, so it holds up tremendously well. Um, so I was very curious to see. I know there was a remake as well in 2006, which I think I watched once about 20 minutes of with Brittany Snow and then thought, no, life is too short. Um, so I was genuinely curious to see what this one was like. Um, yeah, it, it was recycled, you're right, in 2006 by Glenn Morgan, who's one of the writers and directors oh. on say, The X-Files and Millennium. And is a, a writer and director I generally have a great deal of fondness, but I, I, with a heavy heart, I say you were entirely right to turn off after 20 minutes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> now, to be fair, Morgan says that there are other factors at play there, like the fact that he was distributing to the Weinstein Company. Oh, um, no. And so as a result that, you know, he did not, his film was not end up the way that he wanted to. But yes, the remake is extremely graphic, extremely violent, unnecessarily convoluted and very like much like you could argue the original predicted like Halloween back in 78. This almost predicts like Rob Zombie's like 2008 Halloween oh. where it, ex yeah, where it's like, let's take a character who's notable for how mysterious and ominous and unknowable he is and explain every single detail of his backstory um, and hope that we fell that out and kind of make audiences engage with that. And again, you know, if we were, if there was any justice in the world, I suspect if we were talking about a bad Black Christmas movie, it would probably be the 2006 version but we're not we are talking about this version uh here the 2019 one and andrew is entirely correct um we probably can't talk about why until we get to the spoiler zone but let's just say that the actual theme and perhaps the entire second and third act of black christmas 2019 are radically different from the slasher movie origins of the 76 and 2074 yeah. and 2006 because it feels very like post 2017 or at least post 2015 like it's 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 very kind of um or like cer certainly like a very 2019 movie as well um it doesn't seem at all like kind of the same sort of movie 
we should probably actually talk about this very, very briefly, because like one of the arguments that uh, Sophia Takal made and April Wolf, who co-wrote it with her, made was that actually, if you look at the original Black Christmas in context, and I'm going to defer to Bernice and Joey on this, just just to, so I'm not going to be out of line here. But one, if you look at it in context, it was actually a surprisingly feminist movie, particularly by the standards we've come to judge slasher movies, in that the final girl in question is not a virgin and she's not asexual. In fact, she's a woman who's considering having an abortion. And in fact, the entire movie is aligned with her decision to have an abortion and her possessive boyfriend, Peter, played by Keir uh, Dool from 2001 A Space Odyssey, is very much con- insisting that she not have an abortion and that it's his child and he has a right to control her body and the movie perhaps aligns more with her without getting too spoiler or too specific about it um and so like the argument was that that was a movie that came out four years before roe versus wade Mm -hmm. and so you could argue that there is a historical tradition of black christmas movies being feminist particularly by the standards of slasher movies but what about bernice and and joey in terms of like the, the context and the history of black christmas in in the horror genre well, I mean, it was definitely progressive, especially for the time. And as Bernice said, the, but one of the reasons it holds up is because of that. You know, a lot of the reasons that, because I love slashers so much, even when they're terrible. But a lot of the reasons that they fall flat is because people, I say people, men, defer to this boobs and blood idea. And they don't think that there needs to be any any more to it. But the reason movies like Black Christmas, like Halloween, like A Nightmare on Elm Street... The reason why we're still watching those movies and why we still love those movies is because there is more to it. Because there is, like with Black Christmas, there's a hook there that, unfortunately, I suppose, in a way, is still relevant nowadays. Yeah, and, and it is worth noting, actually, both Wolf and Takala uh, said, actually, in interviews um, around the film that Andrew's entirely right. They were inspired by events, uh, specifically 2017 events uh, around the Me Too movement. Um, so things like the, um, they specifically singled out, and I think if you've watched the movie, it's quite obvious, things like, say, Jordan Peterson or Brett Kavanaugh um, or even Brock Turner um, in terms of, like, college and, and what was happening in colleges in the States at that time. And that kind of is a, is a very heavy influence on the film that was made. And without getting too far ahead, I suspect that's probably why it elicited the reaction that it did, where it got a very vocal, very aggressive reaction uh, online, when you would suspect that even if it was a bad remake of a classic horror property, I'm thinking of, for example, you know, the wave of Platinum Dune remakes in the early 2000s, building off like The Hills of Eyes and I Spit on Your Grave and movies like those, you'd imagine they'd be quickly forgotten. But there was a lot of anger um, directed at this movie in particular, which was striking. Well, I mean, it's similar to Ghostbusters when they did Lady Ghostbusters, as I call it. it. They hated it before they saw it. You know, they were against it before. I mean, I'm sure a lot of those commenters didn't watch the new Black Christmas. I'd be very surprised if they did. Yeah, I mean, with, I suppose with Ghostbusters, there were a lot of people who hadn't seen it, who really wanted it to be great. And a lot of people who hadn't seen it, who really wanted it to be terrible. And like, like I'm, I guess... Who had, who had both kind of made their minds up. And I think when it, when it came out, probably people were disappointed that it wasn't kind of as as terrible as they wanted it to be or as, or as great as, as, as they were hoping it would be, kind of. The, but I, with, with, with this, I mean, it, 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 does this movie satisfy the, the, the hope of, of, of its premise? I guess. I, well, I suppose like we can talk about that like a bit more later. But 
Um, I, I, well, it's I, probably a nice springboard into into the three questions, just in terms of initial reactions. So, like Joey, I know that you you loved it immediately. Um, <laughs> you had a very you you described going to see it again on Saturday morning. Like, is this one of your highlights of like 2019? Is it one of your highlights in terms of horror movies? How how would you rank it as a horror movie? So, like, definitely both. I think I put it on my top ten. I mean, I must have put it on my top ten list of last year. And just even if we're talking about modern horror, I think it definitely is up there. It's funny when we're making the Ghostbusters comparison because I know we mentioned Black Xmas from 2006. And you're right, there wasn't the amount of vitriol aimed at that movie, probably because, and Bernice can correct me on this, but there isn't the sort of fan, you know, insane fan love for this movie that there is for Ghostbusters. So that's why I also kind of think the reaction to this was quite outsized because... I mean, who are these crazy Black Christmas fans and why weren't they madder about the 2006 version? You know, which is a bad movie. Uh, yeah, I suspect there weren't that many huge Black Christmas fans. That it was just kind of people heard that there was a movie. My, my sense, of, of, and, yeah, yeah. you know, anyone out there who's a slasher scholar would be able to correct me. Maybe I'm wrong in this, but my sense is that this is a film that... You know, it's very well known within the horror community as being a cult favorite and as being a high quality film. And people who are really into slashers would be really aware of this film having a very important role in the foundational development of the slasher film and that it has this. So I think it has this high reputation for you know, a, a niche group within the horror community who would be, and of course, slasher films are a big subgenre. I'm not this, and sl- I'm just personally, they're not for me. But you know, if you're into them, fair play to you. I think, I think maybe the reason why, just going by, because as as I said, I haven't been able to sit through all of the 2006 <laughs> version. Um, maybe part of the reason why it didn't arouse such a strong controversy without going into the material we're going to talk about in a minute, which is uh, the most obvious explanation for it. Um, <laughs> I love that we're um, literally dancing between icicles here, yes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it may be as well, like um, the I personally despise the Hall- Rob Zombie's work on Halloween. I, I don't fault Rob Zombie for his commitment to horror, his obvious low of the genre, like fair play to the guys living the dream. But I do not want to see him living his dream on the big screen anymore. I've just I've seen them all and they're I just I find his films tedious and nihilistic in a really unhelpful way and <laughs> just not good. And I, I despised his remake of Halloween, both of them actually, the, se- the second one as well. But I think part of the reason why it went down well with a constituent of the community was because it is a, a very gory film and it's a, quite an extreme film and it's an 18s film. And maybe that's why the part of the reason why the 2006 remake, because by the sense what you were saying, Darren, it is actually very gory. It it fulfills eyeballs are plucked out. Um, like yeah, there's a moment if you're where a real horror thing. fan, and it's often a misconception that horror is gore. It's not. Um, yeah. but there's a misconception that that sometimes that's what the, all the genre does. That this is kind of like a proper hardcore horror film, and of course this is PG thirteen. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a film that's actually quite um quite restrained in some ways in, in its acts. It often cuts away just before uh, something violent happened, Very which I thought restrained. was interesting. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's part of it too. It's not really proper horror is the perception. Well, you know, Black Xmas is infamous because a lot of the best kills that are in the trailer aren't in the finished film. Like that's <laughs> that's one of the most no- noteworthy things about Black Xmas. Like there's a great kill um, with Michelle Trachtenberg from, from Buffy Vampire Slayer. She, like there's like a... What is it like an ice skate in her head? 
and that doesn't happen. Someone gets like tangled up in Christmas lights. That doesn't happen. So that's, but there, I mean, there's some really gross stuff in that movie. There's like someone making Christmas cookies with out of human flesh. Yeah, at one point. Skin. Yeah, that's what I always remember. But I mean, it's it all the eye plucking as well. Like the no, people I do are kind very of want to see yeah. it. <laughs> do you know what's so funny? There has been a resurgence for that movie in recent years. Um, and I wonder, particularly now, are people starting to rediscover it in inverted commas because of the new Black Christmas? Because they're thinking, oh, well, you know, anything but these women. We don't want these women. You know, it's the non-girly version of exactly. Black Christmas. We, no, it should be. Like, we want the hard ore <laughs> with the skin cookies. I mean, the reason that... Sophia Takal and April Wolf, the reason why it is PG-13 was because they wanted teenage girls to see it. That was the audience. And that makes sense. Right. You know what I mean? If it's rated or if it's an 18s movie, they're not going to be able to see it. And what's the point then? Men aren't like these old men aren't going to go see it because they're like, well, that's a girly film. You know, no, and for, for, I think for, for most men, it will probably mean less to them anyway. That's exactly. probably why you have kind of these people approaching the movie and saying kind of like, oh, I don't like that they that they're they're never really going to get it because the fear that the movie um describes or or um portrays is isn't isn't a real fear for them. No, it's a very female fear right from that yeah. point, right from the opening it's a very very and that's what kind of struck me about it immediately was that it is a very specific but unfortunately universal fear for women that's what it's playing on. Yeah. Um, all right. I get the sense we might be reaching a point where we need to talk about the, the movie in a bit more depth. So before we do, uh, three questions to kick us off, but actually one one to get us all started because this is going out the week before Christmas. Our listeners are obviously hungry to watch some Christmas movies. So we've talked about this as a horror movie. We've talked about it as a PG-13 movie. But like, Bernice, do you think Black Christmas 2019 is a Christmas movie? That's a tough one. No, I, I think it's a film that happens to be set at Christmas, but I don't think it's a Christmas film. Whereas I think Gremlins is a film that's both set at Christmas and about Christmas. <laughs> so, I mean, this could be said at any time. I don't, I, I, it's really, yeah. I, I actually think Christmas is more important than the original version. I'm pointing behind me for some reason. I don't know why, because we're... <laughs> and also it's an audio <laughs> media. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gremlins in the closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's in there. Bob Clark is in there right now. Um, <laughs> working on, yeah, working on a fourth baby geniuses. Part um, <laughs> the world needs that. Um, but okay. Um, but okay. So yeah, and it's interesting to know about the Christmas setting as well. They famously, they, they the reason why they shot New Zealand was because they shot during the summer and they wanted it to be winter in New Zealand when they shot, so there would be snow. But apparently, because of climate change. There was no snow. So they had to like spray all this kind of fake biodegradable snow around. And they talked about how wonderful it was having a guy whose job it was. His name was Sven, apparently, which I kind of, I'd love that small detail. Sven the snowman who would wander around and just spray stuff with this fire hydrant, a sort of like fire extinguisher to make it look like it snowed. What about you, Joey? Do you think this, is this a Christmas movie or is this just a movie set at Christmas? See, I do, but I'm a weirdo about Christmas. Uh, I love festive horror. So I was just happy to, I'll add this to my rotation, even though I watched it again a days ago for this but i'll watch it again next week no problems i'll watch like that better watch out um which is brilliant gremlins as you say oh, better watch out is so good it's so good <laughs> from the creep the little boy and the oh, oh yeah i don't want to say that more and it's so good i saw that at fright fest and when that moment happened there was an audible gasp like the whole auditorium just went oh <gasps> Because it is such a brilliant... But anyway. Yeah. Um, but no, I... Do you know what? I'll defend it as a festive horror because 
I just watched one on Shudder called Body that's supposed to be a festive horror and that in that Christmas is an afterthought. It's Christmassy at the start, there's a little bit of a carol and then at the end it shows up like it's Christmas Day or something, but that's it. So I feel like in comparison to movies like that, you know, that are clearly using Christmas as like a creepy plot device, I think it's stronger than that anyway. I mean, they go to get their tree and they have their little dancing Santa. That's such a cool moment too, because, you know, it's kind of innocuous and then it comes back again and it's so great. So yeah, I think, no, I think it is a festive horror movie. It's not, it's probably not as festive as the original because the original, you know, they use a lot of the, lot more of the creepy carols and they're all kind of sitting around sipping their hot chocolate, all that kind of stuff. But no, I think it is a festive horror, or at least it is to me and the other weirdos. <laughs> and Andrew, what about yourself coming in blind to this? Would you consider this, is this a movie set at Christmas yeah, or is this like, a Christmas like, movie? Um, like Black Xmas, it has a... Uh, Have you seen uh, Black it, Xmas? It has a Christmas recipe. No, <laughs> just from what I've heard you say. It has a recipe for a ham where you just, you, you just put it in the oven. Um, so yeah, they, they, that's probably why um, people were coming coming back to back to uh, Black Christmas, looking for, looking for for for, for recipes, seasonal for ideas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, no, yeah, I would, I would, and it it feels very um, Christmassy. There, there, um, there is um, that idea. I think is quite strong of like having making a Christmas sort of with your friends kind of people people when they're kind of you know becoming adults they might kind of it might be the first time they're buying a christmas tree um and it's for or spending christmas away from their from their biological parents for example exactly or, or, or um or, or 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 in this case kind of if if, if a character doesn't have um uh, yeah orphans uh, orphans dinner right yeah, yeah. <laughs> can we call uh, it that is that okay there uh, is a, there, yeah i i really do like that the line that comes after that in, in the, I will, in the I will, movie I will, yeah i won't, okay. I won't kind of spoil it but um yeah no absolutely it's a it's a it's a christmas movie i was gonna say it it it's it doesn't it didn't kind of provide somebody some of the I guess hackneyed um, Halloween frights, maybe that that people are expecting, and like there were there were there wasn't a huge amount of jump scares, but but I think it, um, uh, Joey's point is quite right. Like it, it's a particular type of um, uh, terror, like in, in in this, it's a certain type of horror movie. And and particularly um, like building yeah. and mounting and kind of like the sense that, that that's always there and pervasive as well. Yeah, and they do move away from kind of some some of the um, you know from some of the gore and from some of the scares. They kind of cut away from that um, as well. Because it has a lot of those kind of like crank zooms, which I, I really like. Just as somebody who likes kind of like schlocky 70s cinema, there's a lot of those really great, the camera like pushes in really close and then cuts away, uh, which is just kind of like one of those directorial techniques I kind of love. And for myself, I would probably go with that, what Andrew said there, which is that it is, it has that kind of like, again, what is a Christmas movie is very broad, but it has that found family idea. Um, yeah. That idea that the, the family that you make, um, as opposed to the family you're born into. Like Kevin McAllister, learning that he can be self-sufficient at Christmas. The most important lesson of all. Um, all right then, and then before we jump into the spoiler zone, three questions to, to get us started here. So, Bernice, do you think that Black Christmas 2019 is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? Oh, definitely not. Um, I'm going to be upfront here. I, Or maybe that's the next question. I 
I was really disappointed by this. I'm really glad that Joey liked it. I wanted to like it a lot more than I did, mainly because it seemed to really hack off exactly the kind of people I'm very happy to be <laughs> on the different side of any issue on. Um, but um, no, I don't. I really don't think it deserves to be in the in the bottom one hundred. I mean, come on, like we did. You said it's below the Wicker Man remake. That is, that's just. Who's running this thing? This is just profoundly unjust. I mean, it's even worse than Donald Trump losing the election. It just strikes me that the numbers <laughs> the numbers are not right there somehow. <laughs> Hello, I Know Who Killed Me, which is one of the most incompetent films ever made. Like, how, how is I mean, it below that? What, what, here's a question. Would Black Christmas 2019 be a better movie if at some point Imogen Poots lost her leg and had it replaced by a robotic leg that nobody mentioned needed charging? That's a question. <laughs> um, and, and Joey, what about yourself? I suspect we know the answer, but let's do this strictly pro forma. Do you think that Black Christmas is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? No, definitely not. I, it, it, I'm with Bernice. It's so disappointing. And it's so it's so typical as well. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. And I've seen a lot of bad movies, especially bad horror movies and a lot of very misogynist horror movies as well. You know, so to see something like this, just because what it dares to be like, maybe men should treat women better. <laughs> They're like, no, bottom of the list for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's a really controversial message. Not everyone can get bored with that in that, 2018. <laughs> like, that I is pretty much it. Probably looking twice. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's like... Why can't men have movies? All the movies. We don't have anything anymore. All we want is movies and like some other stuff. It's and video games and yeah. comics and TV shows and pop culture in general and we, the presidency. Are trying and... to destroy my childhood? Yeah. Uh, by, by taking this movie that I didn't care about or even knew existed until it became an issue in the culture wars. Yes, this is the post last jedi world where even people who don't care about this stuff or well, like in, you like like in i suppose in 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 fairness it it, it is kind of a red rag for in the, front of a bull the, yeah yeah like like it's not um like it, 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 are, you, it, are you telling me that Carrie Elway's Professor Gelson was possibly modeled on one of the great alt-right thinkers of our time? <laughs> I, I can't I can't think of like what that would possibly be getting at, Andrew. I don't no, know like, what you're like, alluding to. Like it, they're like the makers of Black Christmas can't be surprised <laughs> like that that, that that all of these people have have gotten annoyed at the movie that they like would have made in 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 Paris to to you know to 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 piss them off. But I mean, um, but I think the men in the movie, or sorry, not all of the men. They're obviously the bad guys. Not all men. Great, that's a great line. That is a great. That's a great scene. Actually, it's a really good scene. Yeah, it's a really good scene. Actually, in general, I think. But anyway, sorry. But the boyfriend, I thought he was very sensitively written. You know, and he was a genuinely a nice guy. You know, when they go to do their performance, he's filming it, and he's really proud, and he has her bag, and he takes the photo for them. I mean, that's, uh, to me, not just a well-written character, but a realistic character. That's like the guys I would know, you know? So it, I feel like if they actually watched it and gave it a chance and they saw stuff like that, because my problem is the only reason you'd have a problem with this film is because there's something inside you that relates to the bad guys in the movie. Because Because if, if you relate to the boyfriend, I mean, I watched it last night with my husband. And when the boyfriend, you know, he starts getting his headaches and starts acting like an asshole, he was like, he's not really paying attention. And he's like, wait, what's wrong with this guy? What's happened to this guy? That was the thing that clicked for him was, wait, there's been a change in this nice guy's behavior. 
It wasn't, oh, what's up with this lot? Pissing everyone off. Like. Yeah. Like it, 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 what I, what I'm, what I'm, what I mean, I guess is that the, the, um, it's not subtle about, you know, being part of the like so-called, um, culture wars. Like it's not, it's not shy about it. Oh, it's provocative. It is provocative. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And I mean, deliberately so. And I'm sure, look, I'm sure they wanted to get some press out of it. And I'm sure they took the good with the bad. Mm. But it's just, I feel like the men who are complaining about it, I wonder what, you know, what is their real issue? Is there a real issue that they think, you know, well, he didn't really do anything wrong. You know, he didn't really do anything wrong. She was being a tease. Like it might be too as well that I mean, this is not to justify that that side of things, which is unconscionable. It might be too that there's a good excuse there to diss the film because, um, like I I went into this knowing nothing about uh, very little about the plot, um, and so I was genuinely surprised at how much it does depart from the original, yeah. and it yeah. actually quite quickly turns into a completely different kind of film. Yeah. Um, and a, the kind, a kind of film I was not actually really expecting. Um, yeah. It's almost a different sort of subgenre, really, from from the original. And so maybe that's part of the excuse. Like, if you're going to remake Black Christmas, remake Black Christmas, but don't do a film that's actually. I mean, you could argue that it's a film that's this. This film is a film that's trying to do a really interesting thing with the slasher genre's reputation, which is sometimes deserved. And I think it's been putting stress sometimes very undeserved reputation for misogyny because there have been some amazing final girls in in um, slasher films um but i think that could be part of like an easy excuse as well to say well it isn't actually anything at all like it really it's just the title um and they're not may- maybe looking at the wider kind of um what would you say uh the, context, the, the wider genre or, context in uh, which yeah. the, the film is being made well it's yeah, funny I, because you mentioned rob zombies halloween before which has its issues whatever but the problem with that film, I thought, yeah. when Rob Zombie was trying to do his own thing, now, I think Rob Zombie was wrong for that. I think if they were going to give him one, they should have given him maybe Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That might have suited him a little bit better because it's a bit grungier. But when he was trying to do his own thing with it, I mean, I didn't agree with giving Michael Myers a backstory and making him a hick and whatever the hell he was trying to do. But it worked up to the point that he started remaking John Carpenter's film, which I can, you know, from what I've read, he was kind of, they kind of twisted his arm to do that, that he had to do it to a certain extent. And then with Halloween 2, he went completely kind of off the rails. After that initial opening segment, it just goes and becomes, you know, this different thing. And that movie, you know, kind of has its defenders that people kind of liked what he was trying to do. And I think it's interesting because when he was trying to do his own thing, it was more interesting, you know, because you're never going to be, let's face it, Rob Zombie's not going to be able to do what Carpenter did. He's a completely different filmmaker. So you're right. I think a part of it is if they just remade Black Christmas, just, you know, straight remake like Black Xmas and just been like, oh, here it is, it's modern now, you know, would people have had the same issue? Yeah. Because they, they, they were trying to do something different. And they go too far in faithfulness, you end up with arguably a completely pointless exercise like Gus Van Sant's remake of Psycho, which exactly kind of an interesting exercise, but a film that I don't see any reason why it needed to why exist. Exactly. Why does it exist, you know? It needed to exist as a trial run for The Lion King, released by Disney in 2018. <laughs> um, like The Lion King, that ver- John Favreau's version of The Lion oh. King is like Psycho, but done without a hint of irony. It's amazing. It's um, so and- dull and so weird to look at. Like it's uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. to watch because why do that? Just do a new animated version then because it is pretty much animated. Yeah, but but also why do it with photorealistic animals that can't emote like actually animated cartoon animals? Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, sorry. That's- what are you gaining? <laughs> 
yeah sorry that that's probably a separate discussion but just actually bef- before we jump into into this actually it's worth mentioning the ip thing because apparently yes takala said on, on record like back christmas is one of her favorite movies but she wanted to do something different she pretty much exactly uh what joey said there which is there's no point in trying to do what black christmas already did exactly what it wanted to do basically so why why imitate like that so she said you know let's she ca- basically they said um they said to Blumhouse said to her find three to five things in the original film that you like keep those and anything else you can have fun with you can do anything else with it as long as you keep three to five core elements and you determine what those are yourself and apparently at one point she um she pitched a number of uh number of stories one of which uh, was loosely riffing on the movie targets by peter bogdanovich about a crazy incel kind of school or college shooting uh but apparently bloomhouse said no don't do that don't do that um stay away from that that's too far yeah that's too far we can scale that back but they said yes so apparently that was the that was the kind of way that that it came about and and i think to be fair to jason bloom um he he argues he's described it as a shell game he likes to use ip as a shell to tell original stories because he said that like when bloomhouse do original horrors they're less likely to find audiences than if they just recycle familiar brand names. So things like Fantasy Island will do well. It'll do better than Truth or Dare, even though they're pretty close to equivalent in terms of quality. Uh, but because people recognize the name, they'll go and see it. Um, so I, th- I think that's kind of interesting in that. In that, like, again, there, there is something there in terms of using the original um, brand name and kind of trying to do something new with it. I think that's probably something to discuss in the Spore Zone because what it does is interesting and how that interacts with the, the kind of slasher movie template is interesting. But I don't think if listeners haven't seen it yet, it's probably best not to get too far into it. So, Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think Black Christmas is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? No, I, 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 um, I didn't find it amazing, but I, but I, but I enjoyed it and it, it, it doesn't belong to, uh, on, um, this list are certainly not where it is on the list. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, if it, if it were better than I know who killed me, it would be that would be one thing. Um, right? Yeah. But... No. It 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 it's it's quite kind of it, it like no it 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 absolutely doesn't. Um, yeah. Like I I, yeah. I, I, I wasn't um, I wasn't crazy about it, but I kind of admired what it was trying to do. I do agree that it's a kind of a hiding to nothing. If 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 sometimes when you're given a property because the studio is being conservative like you would think you would think kind of you know making a genre movie might be enough to get some people you know into the cinema because they're well get out was a smash hit for them like for example that was not based on any existing property but that was like a unicorn and that's the thing though you have people who will go to the cinema if there is a horror movie in the cinema you know then it doesn't have to be a um an existing um and not just people like yourself, Darren, who, who watch every movie. Um, um, but, or, or Joey, um, who watches every horror movie, yeah. Yeah. But no, it, it, and it, it seems like if, if, if you're pushed then to, to try and do something interesting with, uh, uh, and with, with some existing franchise, then people are generally going to be disappointed anyway. Yeah. I mean, That's like kind of... we've we've seen that with Star Wars. Like people are disappointed if they change too much, and people are disappointed if they don't change enough. And kind of, yeah, it's um, it's 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 not it's not an easy kind of a 
you, it's a rock and a hard place situation. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah exactly. Yeah, they, they changed it, now it sucked, or they didn't change it, now it sucks. You're kind um, of damned sort of if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah. yeah, The Force Awakens is a bad movie because it explicitly remakes A New Hope. The Last Jedi is a bad movie because it doesn't look like the other Star Wars movies. Um, pick a lane, basically, is, is kind of the problem there. Um, but yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And yes, absolutely not. In no way, shape or form is this one of the worst 100 movies ever made. It's not the worst movie Bloomhouse have made. It's not Truth or Dare. It's not Fantasy Island. It's not the worst movie that I've seen this year. So it's not like Songbird or um, what was that Disney one? Artemis Fowl. Um, fowl by name, Fowl by nature. Um, it is It is not one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I kind of fall on the Bernice and Andrew kind of side of the spectrum. I'm sorry, Joey, in that I admire what it's trying to do. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. I have some issues with it, but I think that what it's doing is interesting. I think it's fun. I think what it's doing is worth doing. And I think that a lot of what it does, it does reasonably well. Uh, but I think that I do have some some minor problems with it, but absolutely not one of the worst 100 movies ever made. All right. So a uh, second question, Bernice, would it be on your own bottom 100? Your own oh, most... God, no. No, I mean, I've seen I've seen a, fair, a massive amount of nonsense. Um, so definitely not. Um, maybe the bottom 500. Maybe, no, maybe not the bottom. Maybe the bottom 1,000. Yeah, no, I mean, I watch about 40 bad horror films a year, never mind all the good ones I watch. So this is, this is by no means, you know, like yourself, by no means the worst horror film I've seen this year. Uh, Bloomhouse, I watched a thing that they made called Visions because it's set in a haunted vineyard and I'm writing a book about California so I had to watch it the whole way through. It's, it's set in a haunted vineyard in California so I'm like, I have to watch it. And uh, But after sitting through Visions, I mean, I, I had a renewed appreciation for, for this film even though my overriding reaction was of disappointment and I for me, it didn't it didn't really succeed. But... It's a film. It's a director. I'd like to see more of her work, which is always a good sign. I mean, I want to live in a world where women can make mediocre films and also get the opportunity to make more films after that. We're in a world where Eli Roth yeah. has made multiple films. Um, oh. Sophia Tuchel should certainly be afforded the same opportunity and more. Um, and uh, I think I would much rather watch a Sophia Tuchel film than Eli Roth film. <laughs> I, I'm I, not I a fan. I might have indicated in the past. I'm not a fan. Nor am I. Nor yeah. I do. <laughs> I do love that Andrew and I were like, why do they keep remaking horror movies? Aren't there more original concepts? And Bernice is like, have you seen this movie about the haunted vineyard? Yeah. And it's like, that's why we don't make more original films, because the only concept left are haunted vineyards. Um, and like but- the best friend champagne. It's haunted. It's not even, it's not even haunted. That's the question. It's actually a terrible uncredited ripoff of the brilliant French film The Insider, The Interior. I don't know if anyone's seen that. If you've seen it, you'll know where it's going. Uh it's it's just it's got Gillian Flynn or Gillian not Gillian Flynn, Gillian Jacobs from Communities in it. Um is it oh. Isla Fisher is in it, who I always get mixed what? up with all of the other with Amy Adams. Yeah. yeah, she's the not Amy Adams is how I think of her. They were all in it. Um and uh, yeah, it was sorry, I don't want to mean to diss visions. I'm sure the people involved did it sincerely, but um, <laughs> this was better than visions. So that's my got, I'm sure they got to drink a lot of wine. <laughs> I, I hope they did. I yeah. I felt like drinking a lot of wine whilst watching it. And it was good for California's vineyards. Yeah, you don't have any sour grapes over it, no? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Joey, what about yourself? Is this uh, one of the worst 100 movies you've ever seen? I mean, right. I wish it was because that would mean the standard would be a lot higher. But I watch a lot of bad, bad, bad horror movies. So no, not even close. 
And I mean, I do have issues with this one. Like, I, I do think there's one element that we'll obviously get into that I think kind of doesn't really work completely. But I think, as Bernice said, for what it's trying to do and for taking a risk, and I think it, it does mostly work, certainly more than a lot of, you know, absolute crap that I've seen. Like, even talking about Eli Roth, like that one, he did knock, knock. Like, how is he able to- Oh, the Keanu Reeves one, isn't it? With, yeah. Green um... Inferno. How is he allowed to keep making films after that? But that's exactly what I was going to say. And actually, I would have thought Green Inferno was kind of one of his better ones, which yeah. isn't saying a lot. I mean, Hostel, like it just... And the fact that Hostel and Saw were so linked together. I mean, Saw is a much more accomplished yeah. film than Hostel. Saw isn't even particularly violent. It's all the implied violence. That's what makes it so frightening. It's basically a police procedural. But they were so interlinked and it was like, yeah, he's doing the same thing. No, he wasn't. And then the Saw sequels become Hostile sequels. Exactly. Because the Saw sequels get a lot more graphic. You know, the people at the top were thinking, oh, well, this is what works. What works about Saw was, you know, that it was it was the violence. It was the gore. I, sh- I should put myself on record here and say I agree entirely generally about Eli Roth. I don't think he's a particularly talented filmmaker. I do think Hostel is a fascinating cultural artifact oh, definitely. in terms of like post 9-11 horror. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm not saying it's a good film, but I do think it's interesting. And Andrew, what about yourself? Is this one of the worst 100 movies you've ever seen? You you did turn down my uh, Knock Knock sequel. I did knock, turn knock, down. Knock. Or was it Knock Knock Colon Knock? Where it's like yes. knock. I was gonna say um, yeah. <laughs> the, the low rent Irish horror version, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For, uh, uh, I believe you wanted to ca- recast Keanu Reeves as a priest. I think was your big pitch. Yeah, yeah, and but he's one of those kind of progressive priests. With a guitar, <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and uh, yeah, with a, and and the 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 local elderly population are are kind of um, not welcoming of him and knocking on his door and kind of yeah. Uh, anyway um, we had a really I, I, good first two acts we're still hammering I, out the third I one exactly and how that went anyway uh would would netflix you know where we are and no, I, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't put this on my bottom 100 um i like I, I i was aware when watching it that this wasn't one of the ones that i was covering for the top 250 but then then again some of them aren't that great you know they they um but it it's no the help andrew <laughs> <laughs> no, the the but like no, it it it. I I wouldn't put it on mine because kind of I would be in very bad company if I did, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, like the moment that you did that, you just get a bunch of invitations on LinkedIn from people that you don't want to associate with. Yeah, Not yeah. It's then. like come join us in DC. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for myself, no. uh, yeah, for myself also, nowhere near my bottom 100. I'm not even sure it make the worst 100 movies that I've watched this year, um, let alone ever, um, which is, yeah, which is so, yeah, no. And, and then final question, Bernice, if listeners have not watched Black Christmas, if they're settling in for a Christmas viewing, would you recommend that they watch the Bloomhouse 2019 version? Uh, that's a tough one. I would actually, I'd actually probably recommend the 74 original because um, I do think it's a better film. But I would say that this is an interesting film. I, I, as I said before, I do not think it works on a lot of levels. For me, the script written on the back of an envelope issue is a really big issue. Um, it's I don't think it's particularly well plotted at all, and that was an issue. But um, no, I so yeah, mixed. I would recommend the original first of all. Um, but if you like the original, then watch this to see an interesting take on some similar thematic uh, tropes. Thematic tropes, is that a thing? I don't know. I teach literature for a living, I, but it's week 12. Of the it, is, it is now. now. Uh, it is now, yeah. I, I decree it. 
<laughs> we have an idea. We have an idea for what follows Bernice's haunted vineyards book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thematic tropes. <laughs> yeah. Withering on the vine. But yes, um, like my career so, after and- this podcast, when that statement is broadcast to the nation. Um, and Joey what about yourself would you recommend listeners watch the 2019 Blue Mouse version of uh, Black Christmas see I would but I it would I suppose it would be it would depend who I'm recommending it to I feel like teenage girls should definitely watch this anyone who's kind of in you know in their early 20s and maybe navigating this world should definitely watch it I think after I saw it I sort of texted my younger sister immediately to tell her to go see it um, now I watched this for the first time I watched it with two guys and you know they both loved it as well but they're both they're both queer, so I was like, I don't know, the queer element maybe kind of worked for them as well too. That there's you know, there's that kind of crossover. But I agree with Bernice. I feel like the seventy four version, you know, is obviously it's kind of a masterpiece in its own right. And I feel like if people haven't seen that, they should definitely watch it too. I'm now thinking whether they'd make an interesting kind of double bill. Hmm. You know, I, I, they kind of do. I watched all three of them today. Oh nice. Um, I kind of crammed them all in and uh, yeah, it was nice. It was a nice little U-shaped graph, like an inverse bell curve um, in terms of mapping <laughs> quality. Um, so I wonder if like maybe that's why when I came to Black Christmas 2019, I was like, I'm really, really enjoying this. This is really, really good. Um, <laughs> if, if Like if you put a blindfold on me and ask me like taste test, which of these three movies was one of the worst 100 movies ever made, I would not hesitate and I would pick, well, I would pick the 2006 version. Mm. Which, which, is fascinating. which of the three movies is how you see yourself? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, quick three questions. Uh, I suspect we already know the answers, but uh, uh <laughs> Purely pro forma. Uh, what are uh, your top three animals? Uh, yeah, um, and and Andrew, then what about? Actually, this is kind of curious because building off what Joey said there in terms of like who she would recommend this to, because I know we've discussed on the podcast before, and you actually I think mentioned it earlier this episode. You're not a huge horror fan, Andrew. So how would you recommend? Would you recommend Black Christmas 2019? And do you think that it's maybe something for people who aren't? Or will be kind of like on the edge of kind of horror, interested in horror, but not necessarily like hungry for horror, if that makes sense. As, as casual horror. Yeah, horror. The, like, like the, it, it, it's probably not for me because I'm not a big um, kind of horror movie fan. I don't kind of seek um, them out, I guess. Um, it's just not a, a, a genre that, that has particularly grabbed me. Like, I, 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 I can enjoy it. Um, all right, but even even some of the classics, like I can more appreciate than than. Um, really I, I don't think you were a huge fan of The Shining, for example, if I remember correctly. You weren't a huge sorry. Fan. You weren't a huge fan of The Shining, if I remember correctly. I think if I think if when we were kind of ranking Kubrick, like I do like The Shining, but that yeah. that that I might kind of rank a couple more Kubrick films ahead of it. Um, but. Um, I yeah, I'd 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 probably go along with what 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 Joey said in in terms of recommendations. It would it would depend on who I'm recommending it to. Like if I if I if I knew myself and had watched this movie and was another person, I probably wouldn't recommend <laughs> it, it, it 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 to myself. But I'm glad I saw it, and um and I'd 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 probably um. Um, as I say, I'd agree with what Joey said in terms of the kind of audience for it. This, this, this is a movie that's very relevant um, for a lot of people, unfortunately. So, yeah. 
I think that's kind of what, what I get out there. Like, cause I, I am kind of very like Bernice. I have some issues with the film. Um, I think that it has some flaws. Um, I certainly don't think it's one of the worst movies ever made. I certainly don't think it's one of the worst movies I've seen even this year, but I do think that it does something that I very rarely see on this level in this kind of film. It tackles like ideas in, in ways that movies, and particularly horror movies and genre movies, and particularly horror movies and genre movies aimed at teenage girls. I think that PG-13 is very, very important there. That audience doesn't normally get movies like this. And while the joke answer here um, is to say, well, they probably should get a better version of this. I, I think I think this tries to do interesting things. I think it does things that are interesting. And I think it services an, an audience that don't necessarily always see their experiences put on screen in that way. It's very interesting. I think Andrew mentioned like the, the idea of like this being a specifically female fear. Because even, even movies that are generally about things like, say, sexual assault or horrors that are about that, like Alien, tend to be focused on the male perspective perspective where like the fear of alien is being a man and being sexually violated that's like now you can relate to it presumed male audience and i quite like that black christmas assumes that it's aiming for a teenage female audience a teenage girl audience i think that we it's good that that's happening and there should probably be more films like that so i'd probably recommend it on those terms as somebody who values novelty and who values seeing things that i don't normally see in places where I don't normally see them. But yeah, that would be a very qualified recommendation uh, from myself, yeah. I guess maybe with, with um, whatever the appropriate trigger warnings are as, yeah. as yeah. well, I guess. Although, uh, yeah. like, I suppose it... Well, I, I'm, I'm not qualified to say how sensitive yeah. the, the movie treats it, but um, that that could trouble somebody if they were watching it. All right. Yes. With that in mind, then, we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone. So, Joey, <laughs> what is Black Christmas about for you? Um, it's about, as I said, a very distinct female fear that I feel like the vast majority of women, unfortunately, will um, will recognize straight away in that opening scene. You know, when she's walking home and she's got her keys out, she keeps looking behind her. She's getting these messages. You know, she sees a man behind her. He sort of gives her a look. And I think the saddest part about that opening scene is when he walks off and she breathes a sigh of relief and she thinks that she's safe. And that's when the guy pounces on her. I think that's that's how you know that this was made by women, because only a woman could tap into that very real fear that just when you let your guard down, that's when they're going to hit you. Um, I think it's about it's also about kind of female friendship and, you know, how important those bonds are. And I think when we're talking about issues movies in inverted commas, a lot of the time when you see, because a lot of the dialogue in this is very aware of the climate and, you know, they use things like not all men and they, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think they do it in a funny, clever way because a lot of the time when you see stuff like that, it's signposting and it's just kind of pat on the back stuff. You know, we're just putting this in here so that, you know, we're aware of it, but they don't actually engage with it. You know, that big argument that um, the two of them have in the kitchen where Riley is saying, you know, you can't just force everyone all the time. You're, you know, you're so pushy, you're so pushy. And you can see both sides of that argument. You can understand why somebody who is a sexual assault survivor just wants to move on. But her friend is saying, no, we can't let them get away with this. If we let them get away with this, it's just going to keep happening. But it's, it's so deftly, 
I mean, it's played very well by both of them, but I feel like the writing is so sharp there that you can understand both sides of it because it's not a black and white issue. And I think, unfortunately, when these topics tend to come up in movies like this, and they are, you know, written and directed by men predominantly, it is either just surface level or they're not, you know, they're not really engaging with it. They're putting it up there and going, there you go, we did it. Okay, now back to the other stuff. This is very similar to, I think, was the Angelica Jade Bastien comment I think she made about Wonder Woman 1984, where she observed the kind of like the corporatization of yes. feminism to a certain extent. We'll see. Where you have this. You know, what's, you know what's so funny is that. So, sorry, oh, we are in the spoiler zone, so it's open. Yeah, we are, of course. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I'm not- and, and it's everything, by the way. And, like, not just this movie, <laughs> just movie. life. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm not a Marvel person at all. Um, I, I kind of hate having to watch those movies. Usually I don't have to review them, so it's fine. But <laughs> that moment in, um, was it Infinity War? I think it was Infinity War, where all or the- end- Or Endgame with the girl squad. Endgame, that's the one, thank you. Um, where all that's the women awesome. show up. And it was supposed to be this big moment of female empowerment. Did absolutely nothing for me nothing that meant nothing to me yeah they're all here so what the moment at the end of black christmas when you think that she i mean you know she's not done for because you know she's the final girl but you think she's done for and then the, the doors open up and you see them all standing there and she says and it's such a cheesy line she says you messed with the wrong sisters which is the tagline as well which is funny that moment meant so much more to me that spoke to me on a much much deeper level and I mean, because they were all kind of beaten up, they were exhausted, they were pissed off. And that's so much realer to me than just, oh, look, here's all the female characters in a line. You know, they're st- still not really the focus, but they're here and that should be enough for you. I mean, when women were saying they were crying at that, I mean, fair play. If you find something in that that means something to you, that's great. I just think it's pandering. And I feel like something like this isn't pandering. I think that's completely earned. Especially because you don't even see the other sorority house for most of it. You see them kind of at the start. And then there's that brilliant moment where the security guy shows up and they're like, <laughs> yeah, wrong house. They're going um, through the, the exact same thing. I love that moment, actually, yeah. where there's all this stabbing yeah. and you're like, what? <laughs> Is this all happening too? Uh, yeah. yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's a nice like reverse science of the lambs moment where they go to the wrong house since at the end of science of the lambs except it's happening everywhere so it's also the right house it's just the wrong right house it, it reminded kind of me a lot too of um maybe it is too spoilery zone can i we can't spoil other films yes, here the make sure i've got ever. the official sanction um the point in us when you real another bloom house film isn't it uh it is yeah yeah uh what when when you realize that um what's happening to this one family isn't just happening to this one family it's actually uh certainly america wide anyway and you go ah this is a slightly different type of film from what i thought it was going to be in that respect so this actually reminded me a lot that moment of the the group of women coming through the door it sort of it made me think, realize that I think the basic plot of this is like a classic Buffy the Vampire Slayer plot type plot. Um, you know, toxic patriarchy is literal. Uh, masculinity is a literally an ooze that comes out of people's eyes um, <laughs> and contaminates our young men. And the bit where all the all the women, the girls come together at the end, I thought was a very like Slayers Unite type moment. Um, and maybe it was the college setting as well. But I did keep thinking through the final 40 minutes or so of this, this is very Buffy-esque. Um, so, and I mean that I, I guess as kind of a mixed compliment. I don't love Buffy as much as many um, people do, but you know, Sweden, fake yeah. feminists. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about Justice League. Then we get into Zack Snyder, and it's a whole. It is, it's a <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Welcome to this three-hour podcast, which I'm sure the internet will Black love. Black ooze starts um, coming out of Darren and, and Andrew's eyes, and it's just this. Yeah, we yeah. listen to too much Joe Rogan. It's out of the Black ears ooze. rather than the eyes. Yeah. yeah um, like, hey, Darren, have you tried DMT? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. What? Hey, hey, look, Andrew, I'm saying the girls can say whatever they want, all right? That's what I'm saying. Face me like a man, man. Which actually is one... <laughs> That's great, actually. They keep doing that in this movie. Like, when they're on stage and it's, oh, it's the girls from Mupai. And then she goes, women! Like, I do that all the time. When my male friends are like, this girl, this girl, I'm like, woman. She's a woman. I love... It was very funny as well, the, the line when she's corrected and she's like, oh, woman. Projectile yes. <laughs> um, very quickly, before we move off from that scene where they open the doors, actually, it's worth noting the weapons that the girls are carrying in that sequence. They're actually the weapons that the killer used in the original 1974 version of Black Christmas, ah. which is nice. So you get a nice thematic reclaiming of the weapons of kind of the slasher movie. Apparently. So he gave them their the weapons. Killer. Is this like a hidden a plot line that's in the DVD release or something? Where is it Billy from the attic or whatever? Is you it's know, a self- it's a cell sequel. He's just like handing out weapons yeah. now. He's he, he's got woke. Um, he, he's, he's Billy he's, the girl. B i l l i. Well, all all the girls are chosen here, I think, to have specifically non-gendered names, which is interesting as well. And I think one of the interesting arguments that made about the film, which is interesting, because I think Joey mentioned the cliche of the final girl. Yes. Um, Black Christmas very consciously avoids having a single final girl. It's a, a group of girls. It's that metaphor of the ants, the idea that together. Uh, women are basically stronger which is an interesting kind of way of taking the trope of the final girl the idea of the one woman who gets to survive a horror movie mm. and basically saying no 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 it's it's actually a larger group of kind of women who do that and i find that kind of that's an interesting way of approaching because i think takal has said a lot of her movies particularly a lot of like she made i don't know if joey's seen um her into the dark uh, episode yeah. new year new you but it's very that's very much a girls against girls horror yeah, movie definitely. um and she said after she did that, she wanted to do something different. She wanted to do, instead of doing a girls versus girls horror movie, she wanted to do a, one of the horror movies that she hadn't really seen that many of, which is women working together and getting through it together, which I think is interesting as well. And it it, it, it was interesting as well, because like, like watching it, I sometimes felt like that you don't get a chance to really know a person that well before they're kind of gotten rid of, but the, but they, 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 Kind of make this um, point in that discussion in the kitchen that, like, kind of, you know, if you, I don't, well, I don't know how 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 well done it is, but it, but I but I thought it was an interesting way of kind of treating that is this idea that you can't you can't kill us, you know, because we will will you know will replace replace each other, sort of, um, that we're 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 a unit. You, you might you might kill one ant, but there's um which which Anna- which kind of belittles some of the deaths <laughs> in it but but I, I I suppose maybe it makes you think that like the point isn't that they're um killed the point is that there there's some sort of indomitability in in their unity I guess. And you also have then Helena as well, the other character who oh, betrays them. Yeah. Um, and like the idea that she's a, she's a woman against women, as it were, which kind of opens up all sorts of other interesting angles, I think, as well, perhaps. She's not running for election in North Carolina. <laughs> sorry. But it seems plausible that she would. Yeah. Or South Carolina. Sorry. She um, has that great speech, though, about aren't you tired of fighting? And it's yeah. it that that does kind of in a way you do kind of think, yeah. 
I am. I am exhausted. I wish I could just, you know, lie down and just take it. You know, even that, I feel like even that is very sensitively, they present a lot of different angles. It's not just, this is the one right way to do this. They acknowledge that there are gray areas. And that character is still a sympathetic character. You know, when she dies, it's still a shock. The, the leopards eating people's faces party, quite literally. It's yeah. like, I never thought they would eat my face. Well, pretty much. The men, the men brutally killing women party. I never thought that they'd brutally kill me but as it, a woman. But it is making, I mean, make, not making light, but it is, yeah. you know. Illustrating, perhaps. Or... It, yeah, illustrating how, you know, like the women who joined the MRAs and then they don't understand why the MRAs are treating them badly. It's like MRAs hate women. That's their whole thing. They were never, you were never going to be one of them. You know what I mean? Like it, so I feel like in that kind of way, it is clever because, you know, you do feel bad for her and she's confused. She's like, but I did everything you told me to do. Why, you know, why can't I be part of this? Um, and actually, like, before we talk about the kind of the broader stuff, it's probably interesting to talk vaguely about Nate because you did mention him earlier on before we got to the spoiler zone. Nate is the boyfriend, I think. Yes. He's the, the, the boyfriend who is initially very sympathetic and supportive and who over the course of the film changes uh, with the headaches and the personality. I think that's very an interesting way of looking at this idea of toxic masculinity because it looks at the way that it's not always... It's not always explicitly something that comes out in directing violence against women or hurting women directly. It's instead something that arguably expresses itself in a way that hurts men, quite literally, in that it gets him killed. And it's more insidious when he's in the kitchen and he says, not all men are rapists. You're calling me a rapist. And she says, I'm not calling you a rapist. Like, what are you talking about? But again, you can kind of understand where he's coming from. You know what I mean? Like, I remember, remember when the Gillette ad came out that was like, oh, men can do better. I was working with someone at the time who was telling me, oh, it's just, everything's just an attack on men all the time. We just can't do anything right. I said, oh, it's, you know, first of all, it's just a razor ad, like who cares? Second of all, all they're saying is, you know, men, men can do better. And that shouldn't be that radical of a statement. And he made it very clear to me that his girlfriend didn't agree with that ad, you know, and you're a militant feminist and all this kind of stuff. And I was thinking, wow, your girl, uh, immediately I thought, maybe wrongly, maybe, you know, I'm being judgmental, but I immediately thought, oh, she's submissive to you. Because if, you know, if my fellow said that, I'd be like, nope. She doesn't eat jerkies. They say it right there on the pack. It's not. <laughs> but like, seriously, um, we have to get those special pens from Amazon that are, you know, calibrated for our delicate fingers. Pink one, pink Bix. <laughs> but it is, it is that idea of, and again, you can kind of understand it. They don't all want to be tarred with the same brush. But my argument to that would be, as I said earlier, if you're not a bad guy, you shouldn't be worried. You know, like I remember, I can't remember who it was now, but it was somebody, some famous lad was saying, oh, you know, if we start thinking about all the bad stuff we did when we were 18, you know, we're all going to be starting, you know, getting skeletons out of the closet. And I remember I asked several of my male friends, have you, did you do anything when you were 18 that you have any issues that you feel in any way uncomfortable about, you know, that you wonder if there was anything consent wise? And every single one of them said, no, no, absolutely not. Well, this is the cliche of the locker room talk. It's like men talk like that in the locker room. And I mean, you know, I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with that because it's like, no, I don't. I, I don't. I've never done that. It's like, it's but it, it is that idea of you don't need to be worried unless there's something inside of you that relates to this. I do love as well that her um, her rapist, I wrote this down and I thought it was so brilliant. He's always chewing gum, open mouthed. Yeah. And even at the end when they're doing, <laughs> like when they're having their big showdown, he's still like... 
It's amazing. I don't know if that was his idea or if that was their idea, but it's such a brilliant character trait because you're thinking, oh, look at that asshole. <laughs> Close your mouth. And also the other stuff, but primarily the gum. Mainly the gum. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think you're up, you know, it's it's right. This is a film that I think is, is quite brave in the sense that it's tackling he- head on as well, or the, the issue of, you know, rape culture on American, and obviously it's not just American, but generally the issue of how sexual assault is often mishandled um, on, on university campuses worldwide, but it's a particularly big issue in the United States over the past four or five years. Um, about there's a lot of stuff thrown in there about um, decolonizing the curriculum, about problematic college founders. So it's obviously very alert to stuff that's happening. Literally taking down statues. Yeah, literally. T- yeah. It, 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 yeah. it literally comes back to the the the, the, the bust of the college founder being was being removed from official administration yeah. buildings and taken back to this fraternity. And then they discover that he also oozes black <laughs> stuff that literal know, toxic masculinity. <laughs> the actual toxic masculinity. Um, so I, I think there's. I think there's a really good film to be made about all of those things. I'm not sure that this is quite that film and I, I give it plaudit for trying to do so. For me as well, in terms of films that deal with um, sec- horror films in particular, genre films that deal directly with sexual assault, it has been, it is absolutely the case that this is something that um, horror films generally, unless it's within the, the, the rape revenge subgenre, which let's not, we, that's a whole other discussion, but has problems of its own, um, and very often is is I would say very dodgy in terms of how it depicts. I mean, I, I there's people I know who will say that I spit in your grave is a feminist film, to which I would say, were you hit on your head or something? This is um, this is a, a film I have a lot of issues with. Well, I'm glad but- to hear you say that because I was taking part in a in a documentary and they asked me that question and oh well, this is such and I had a male friend telling me. Now, God bless him. He was just repeating what he'd heard, but telling me the same thing. Oh, women take that as a feminist film. And I completely understand that maybe if you were growing up, I mean, I'm a little bit younger, so maybe I didn't kind of have that. I was more sort of scream and that kind of thing, which, you know, is a bit more feminist. But maybe if you're growing up and you didn't see yourself in those films, maybe you were so desperate to see yourself in those films and to take back the power. But I just think no way, no way is any of that stuff feminist. It just, it just isn't. You know well, what I mean? I mean, the trouble with that film in particular, there's a lot of stuff going on in it, but is that it has such an extended, uh, I mean, and I don't mean to suggest that the film is sort of glorifying or glamorizing or in any way the actual rape scene, but it's such an extended rape scene. It's just, it's... It is. It's gratuitous. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I really think it is gratuitous. And I mean, a lot of rape revenge films are told from the perspective of the, the boyfriend or the husband or the father, like we're thinking of Charles Bronson in Death Wish, famous example here. Um, his daughter's been violated and he must get revenge. So they're often filtered through a male perspective. A film actually that was out quite recently, which I think is is a really interesting and a film that I, I quite admired was revenge, I can't was remember it? the director wrote it was revenge was it Coralie something it was French anyway yeah. I'm going to very French yeah. <laughs> apologies to all the francophones out there um, and to the director but I thought that was a really good film about actually about trauma and the catharsis of revenge from the female perspective and I liked how they treated the male. Um, attackers at the end I, I really thought it did something very interesting with the, the body and nudity and stuff like that but crucially what's different about that film when you talk about how rape because how rape is filmed it is often exploitative it is often gratuitous even in the nightingale which was um the one from jennifer kent who did the babadook even i thought that rape scene was filmed completely wrongly it was filmed you know definitely from it was we saw too much of it first of all you don't need that much of it it went on too long it was gratuitous it was mostly about him which i really really didn't like 
with revenge, if you remember, it's all on her face. Mm. And it it's split second, you know, it's maybe about maybe 10, 15 seconds. And that's enough is just to see her reaction. We know what's going on. We don't need to see thrusting. We don't need to hear grunting, nothing. And that's the difference when these movies are from a female perspective. Because if they're, you know what I mean? I mean, the interesting thing about this film is set in the aftermath as well. You never actually see uh, Riley being being attacked. It's actually her trauma in the months afterwards, which I thought was an interesting temporal decision. And, and what we do, and what we do see, which is just su- suggestive, which I would argue, and I mean, I'm sure you're the same. Sometimes that's much more frightening, which is interesting with regards to the death scenes in this movie as well. Like the one in the in the attic when she kind of turns the body around, you never see it. You just see her reaction. And that's enough to know that whatever's happened to her is really horrific. Well, that's someone with the glass in the face, isn't it? Well? Yes. Yeah. yeah, and you never actually see... And I mean, it's it's funny because it kind of tricks you into thinking you've seen it because it flashes back to it later on, but you haven't actually seen it. But with her assault, you kind of see him on top of her and, you know, they're cutting between him on top of her again, you know, when he's trying to kind of kill her. But yeah, you don't you don't need to see it because it all comes out in her performance. It's more implied in that that's the trauma and that the, the aftermath that that's that's the that's the focus which I think is interesting. Which is but that's much more valid I would argue than having a gratuitous 10 minute shot of her right, you know on the bed trying to escape him and whatever else. Mm-hmm. I also love that she uses her dress as a weapon. Because not only is that kind of a callback to the original film with the plastic bag over the head. Um, which was, you know, the poster is kind of very, very famous and horrifying image. But it's the fact that she uses this dress that she can't even look at it anymore. She can't wear it anymore because that's the dress she was raped in. And she grabs it and she uses it to suffocate somebody. I just think that's such a clever nod. And again, it's only something a woman could have come up with. You know, a man wouldn't think of using a dress as a weapon, except for maybe a drag queen. It is worth noting, actually, because um, we did talk about I Spit on Your Grave. One of the original things that Sophie Tikal wanted, Sophia Tikal wanted to do with Bloomhouse was to remake I Spit on Your Grave. Interesting. That was, that was the project when she was asked what she wanted to do. She said, I Spit on Your Grave. Apparently, Bloomhouse were like, yeah, but we have the rights to that Christmas. She's like, fine, I'll do that. Um, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, because the 2010 remakes are... <sighs> Horrible. Yeah. And then there's a whole load of sequels. It's a bit like Children of the Corn. I keep wondering, somebody must be watching these films, but it's not me. But I, I didn't even realize there was a new Children of Corn out this year. And I saw something on IMDb and I thought, no, that can't be right. But yes, it, there was a new one this year. I mean, for who? And where did it come from? The great grandchildren of the corn. Um, I think it must be some sort of mon- elaborate money laundering scheme at this stage. I genuinely don't understand it, you know? Uh, is Kirstie Allen Ali still starring in them? That's the question. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, because one of the things I wanted to talk about there, actually, which which is kind of interesting, is is this idea of the way in which the film does kind of, and again, Andrew mentioned it kind of waving a red flag in front of a bull. It knows exactly what it's doing because it's it's very explicit in what it's referencing. There's, sorry. There's, there's stuff even like not my classics, kind of like that. that that's just going to, you know, to you know, in 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 enrage a certain sort of um, entitled sort of section of the the, the population. Where and to be fair, um, there's there's a certain sense in which poking that bull that bull maybe deserves to be poked. Yeah, kind of thing to a certain extent. Right. I, would, I would argue. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did but but that but that it is very kind of you know uh, um, pointed. I guess. I mean, it, it's worth noting the the Carrie Elway's character is very explicitly Jordan Peterson. It barely oh. even tries to conceal that, and it's 
it's quite notable. And again, this is one of the things where Darren delves in and does. I did research for this. I looked at the trivia page on IMDb and you can get a very. Yeah, I know. Um, this is the depth of research that we do on this podcast. Yeah, I clicked a link on the main page that I'm using as a source. Do you have to pay for that? Um, well, Andrew, if I told you that, I, my mystique would be ruined. Um, but yeah, so um, but you you read the trivia section and you get a very, very, very clear sense of like why the IMDb hates this movie um here are um here are some snippets from the trivia page um i wanted to make a movie where instead of feeling objectified or watched from a distance the audience felt seen said to Kofi, so sophia sophia to call this resulted in further black backlash as to call was accused of placing more importance on the agenda over the plot uh, then there's also uh, yeah oh here we go there's another one here as well at one point a ring of keys is used as a weapon to fight off a killer a reference to, and I quote here from the point of trivia, a feminist talking point about how women will resort to holding their keys in their hand as a weapon while walking alone at night. Um, there's also Lindsay's death where she's stabbed with an icicle is a bad taste reference to the so-called misogynistic murder of Betsy Armaza, a Pennsylvania college student who was stabbed to death in the chest with a knife. And it's like, I don't see how you got icicle from that as well, but mm -hmm. I like the so-called misogynistic there as well. Yeah. Um, there's repeated references in the trivia section to movies that to call describes as misogynistic by putting the word misogynistic in scare quotes. And there's uh, one in particular that I find interesting here as well, which is, um, hold on. When the, the, like the actual line, the Riley subplot um, about having been raped and nobody but her friends believing her is a reference to, and this is a direct quote from the IMDb trivia page, the campus rape narrative prevalent on college campuses. It's mm. not a reference. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Campus rape narrative. It's not a reference oh to things that actually happen or statistical phenomenons or, you know, like documented cases. No, no, no. It's a, a reference to a narrative that is prevalent on college campuses. That's and you terrible. get a, it is like right. that very much, I think kind of classifies, gives you a sense of why the IMDb or where the people who are voting this down so frantically are kind of coming at it. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting that it goes so directly for the jugular with like the character of professor gelson who is very clearly uh jordan peterson who attracts and i know i know peterson i know that there are men who read peterson and find value in what he writes but a lot of the stuff that he does ties into this mra movement and he himself has said some stuff that very much perpetuates this idea and in fact actually i think in this movie the philosopher that he quotes from um camille page um, is actually a documented uh, supporter of Peterson and one of his kind of core allies and the woman that Peterson is most fond of citing when he says, I'm not a sexist, because women say these things too. Therefore, I have, I... I have to admit, I did laugh my head off at the Camille <laughs> Baglia quote. <laughs> she is, she's an interesting, she has written some really interesting stuff, but she's a, she's a bit of a one. She's a, yeah, she's a, she's a provocateur to, to use that word and heavily underline and put several exclamation marks after it. Sorry for interrupting you, but it was just as, as I thought like there's a little academic in joke. So I got a little chuckle to myself. Um, sorry. Well, I feel like the casting, the casting of Carrie Elwes is brilliant as well. Cause as soon as he shows up doing his English accent, you're like, oh, bad guy. <laughs> but for me that was nearly I mean he he was always going to be but for me that was part of the issue I had with the film there was no, there was no suspense whatsoever there was no right, yeah. that clearly wasn't part of the remit of the film like the real monster is patriarchy in this film uh, but 
But it's just so feckin' obvious that he's up to something sinister. He's there with his floppy hair and being being very English and posh. I mean, condescending to women in class and picking picking on thing. the protagonist in classroom, singling her out. Yeah. Basically, like, okay. <laughs> there's, there's zero suspense about whether or not you know will he be involved with this or not. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, see, in from my perspective, I feel like that was kind of subverting a trope in a way. Yeah. Especially because when he shows up at the house with her and he's very clearly not to be trusted and she can tell in her gut, even though he hasn't really done anything and he's like, what about your comb? Oh, I'm going to help you. But, you know, it's it's that kind of thing of he hasn't really done anything, but you just, you know, in your gut, I feel like, again, it's playing off a very female fear that you know something is wrong, but you can't quite pinpoint it because he doesn't say anything that outrageous. I think it's kind of, you know, when he kind of talks her friend and he's like, oh, she needs to calm down and get back in the kitchen. Ha ha ha. I think that's kind of over the line a little bit. But again, it's not so over the line that you couldn't just kind of dismiss it and think, oh, I'm just overreacting. So I agree with you. I think it is really obvious that he's a bad guy and not least because it's him and he's doing his accent. (laughs) But in a way, I kind of like it because I think, again, I think it's playing on a real female fear that you just know in your gut something's wrong here, even though nothing has really happened. I mean, what would have have happened if she went into the house with him? You know, Mm. would anything have happened? It's kind of left up in the air. And I think the campus security guard is another, that's a very funny character too. Because he's not necessarily, like he offers to give her a ride home. He's not necessarily a bad guy. He's just kind of unhelpful. And he's unhelpful because he can't put himself in her shoes because he's never had to. So when she says, my friend is missing, I know there's something wrong. And he's like, oh, well, you know, she's probably with her boyfriend. That's how these things usually work out. Hmm. You know, but you're thinking with the prevalence of, of campus rape, you're thinking, Jesus, should you not be taking this a bit more seriously? But we know from how Riley's behaving that when it, when it, she was in that position, nobody was believing her. You know, it's interesting that he comes off kind of half okay yeah. because I think in in most movies she would turn up and he would say, "Don't worry about it," and she'd have to kind of walk off. But they, they, they kind of in this kind of in the next scene. He's going, you know, along actually, with her. And, yeah, he yeah, actually he's actually does kind something. of following up. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Which is actually, to be to her, kind of evokes the original Back Back Christmas movie, which has John Saxon's character, who is yeah. also a remarkably competent cop for a horror movie, although not competent enough to actually stop anything that's happening in a horror movie, <laughs> which is a nice, delicate line to walk. Sorry, but he's like, cut you off. Well, I was just going to say, uh, there's a long tradition in, in uh, particularly slasher films and backwards horror films where the cops um, are either tremendously unhelpful or make things worse. Um, so this guy's... Uh, Carrie Elwes, maybe I reacted strongly to him as well because our, I'm quite... I'm kind of... You know one of those films that you watch quite may, maybe once every three years when it's on TV, but you would know in your heart it's probably not very good. I feel like that about the James Patterson adaptation, Kiss the Girls. Um, with Morgan is, Freeman and uh, Jude Woman and Carol film and Morgan Freeman's in it and Carrie Elwes is in it and the minute he walks on screen he has a terrible New Orleans none of those New Orleans accents uh, and he's talking and you're going this can't be his accent for the film and then a second later I thought ah it's because he's the killer yeah um, you know because that's why he's you know had had the ridiculous accent and thus it was proven he was actually deploying a terrible accent so I think maybe subconsciously as well I was just going Carrie Elwes accent I know he's an accent in real life that's because he's English but um, 
Yeah, that was that was my issue maybe with Carrie Ellis. But like he turned out to be the new jigsaw in Saw as well, which is yeah. I love Bernie's like good for him. Um, it's like finally <laughs> something's coming up, Carrie Ellis. No, Sorry. But I mean, and he's and he's a great actor. Like, don't get me wrong, but oh man, as soon as he turns up, you just know can't trust him with his fake accent. Yeah. It appears as if no women work in this university campus. I think it must be an entirely male staffed. Yeah, it does. You don't see any female staff at all. But I mean, to be fair, the founder was very clear about how he felt. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that this university would fail all of those, um, all of those institutional equality. Oh, you know, man. I love the yeah. um, the line about he had slaves. In the north. What I I will say actually about Carrie Elway's obviously evil man is that like one of the things I found as a movie reviewer over the past four years is that my standard of this character is cartoonishly and unbelievably evil, particularly when it comes to being sexist or racist. That threshold bar has dropped significantly in terms of me going, that's completely unrealistic that a person would be that sexist or that racist in a public forum um, over the past four years. So I do find that, you know, I suspect if this had been released five years ago, I'd be like, isn't it a bit much that everybody's just A-OK with him just being like this as opposed to now where it's like, yeah, I can see this. Yeah. He probably has tenure. He's untouchable. Um, probably have a bestseller on Beyond Fox News really regularly. <laughs> yeah, probably. All right. So just, um, is there anything else we want to talk about, actually? Anything that we haven't discussed already with regards to the film? Anything jumping out to people? Uh, Diva cups are mentioned in the first five minutes of this film. And I thought that's part of the reason why it had a strong reaction. <laughs> yes. And you see one later on as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in, I, I, that was going to be in my recommendations section. <laughs> I, I, I Thank I, you, Andrew. <laughs> I was thinking maybe I should leave that to somebody else. But it, yeah, the... Um, I, I I was once thinking, God, I, I wish I could sell these door to door because they like there was a moment when I found out that they were a thing, diva cups. And I was like, that changed everything. Yeah, these, <laughs> are, these, these are brilliant. They're like there's there's no um, you know you don't have to replace them every four or eight hours. Like they're they're good for the environment. So um, well, wait until I tell you about moon cups, Andrew. Um, well, yeah, they'll yeah, just, no, they'll just blow your mind. They're a different. Um, uh, oh, yeah. They're a different manufacturer. They're they're also known as, aren't they? I think they're different. Okay, I'm, I, I realize myself and Andrew are the two least qualified people on this podcast to be having well, this discussion. No, I, 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 I'm not that unqualified. Well, I, I am very unqualified, <laughs> but, but I, I've looked up um, a lot about uh, uh, moon cups. Like it reduces the the chance of like toxic shock syndrome, and um, they're 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 great. It, it, it's it's very economical, obviously, because. One can last like ten years. It's a scene I kind of like because it's uh, it's it is quite. I'm not going to say in your face because I don't think women mentioning uh, a, a biological function that's uh, part of life for most women at some stage is in your face. It, you know, get used to it, people. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I, that's actually an important plot point because it's gone missing and that's the yeah. being used in the ritual. But also, I think it might be a subtle nod to the fact that when menstruation does feature in horror films. It's usually as an adjunct to getting terrifying supernatural powers or bitten by a werewolf, as happens in Carrie and Ginger Snaps, respectively. So in a way, it was kind of refreshing where, um, you know, it, it did the actual apparatus associated with menstruation is a minor plot point. Um, but it wasn't an adjunct to anyone, you know, getting any kind of murdery type powers or going insane, which is another. Or uh, being treated, yeah, but supernatural or, or abnormal or freakish or something yeah, that, like is not safe for polite company. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. even, uh, even in the Craft Legacy, that new Craft movie, they keep, you know, her 
having uh, getting her period and it being this big traumatic event and everyone's making fun of her i'm thinking really like nowadays is that still a thing but what they the, just what? been watching a brian de palma film and thought that's how you should react to it <laughs> like like <laughs> you should never get life advice from a brian de palma film to be fair no. like not even in like menstruation just in certainly general. get a second opinion afterwards yeah. but the uh, the diva cup reminded me of in uh, bad neighbors 2 when they yes. sort of do the sorority, you know what I'm going to yes. say, and they yes. throw all the bloody tampons against the against the window, and the Zac Efron character said, "Where'd you get all that fake blood?" And they're like, "It's not fake blood; it's from our vaginas." And he's like, "Ew! Oh my god, that's so disgusting!" And then she says to him, "If it was a bag of dicks, you'd think it was really funny." And he starts laughing, he laughs out loud. It's amazing. Ah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that, you know, was another instance of it. Just obviously, and it's kind of played for laughs here too, because she sort of like shoves her hand down her pants, you know, in front of her, like you know, there's no, and she has that great T-shirt on that says, "Your monologue is boring me," which, <laughs> if I could buy it, I would, but um. <laughs> And it's, it's worth noting, actually, Imogen Poots actually singled that out in interviews where she'd say that even seeing a girl put a sanitary pad in her pants on screen will be more shocking to the majority of these men than seeing a gun pulled out. A hundred percent. A hundred percent it would. And I mean, and I have to be honest, when I saw it the first time, I did think, like you're saying, Bernice, I was a bit like, oh, oh, there's a diva cup and she's going she's gonna to put it in your pants. Oh, no. Which is ridiculous because I'm a woman. Like, what am I? But that's what we've been conditioned. But, you know, it's that we've been conditioned to think that this stuff, you know, you don't talk about it. You know, you don't have to see it. Keep it to yourself. I remember, remember there was that big scandal earlier this year about the Tampax ad. Mm. I remember someone telling me, oh, yeah, you know, my dad's 70 and he was saying, oh, that's women's things. We shouldn't be talking about that. That's women's things. That's private things. Like, take a hike. Are you serious? You're talking about periods no. here. It's not now even... get back to the impotence medication advertisement, please. <laughs> <laughs> Joke. Like, I'm sorry. And the condom advertisements and the lube and everything. I know that's after hours, but it's not even that. Like, what are you what are you so offended by? You're talking about something that affects literally every woman. <laughs> you know half the population the woman probably sitting next to you on the train like what is so i like that it's kind of breaking down that stigma and again i like that it's a plot point too i think it's really clever especially because um, you see it later on <laughs> also worth thinking yeah, the, the, the musical the musical scene as well where they perform that that song that was actually written by uh ricky lindholm um, oh i love really? her yeah yeah from, they wanted from garfunkel and oates Yep, she's great. And I mean, it's apparently one of Jason Bloom's favorite scenes in one of his own movies, um, which is an interesting compliment to pay it. But also the fact that uh, apparently they wanted to do Santa Baby um, originally, but they found that the copyright on Santa Baby was surprisingly tight. So they had to write their own uh, musical version to kind of riff off, which is fascinating as well. Um, I wonder too if it was a homage to the, it was a very similar scene, obviously with a different intent in Mean Girls. Yes, apparently yeah, that's They're the... nearly identical outfits. Yep, apparently Tekal was riffing on that as well. I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff that she's very consciously riffing on. I think she wants, she saw you like Invasion of the Body Snatchers as an influence here in terms of how it's shot. I think that's, that has a couple of those similar kind of like sudden zooms in on things in terms of film craft and technique as well. Um, and I mean, it, it is actually, is it worth talking about the, no, I think, I think we've talked about the PG-13 stuff already. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already jumping out at people? I was, was going to say uh, Landon, the guy that you know he's good because he wears quirky jumpers and he's into AV equipment and you think he's, he's and he's wearing his glasses and you're thinking he's going to be a good a good guy. And, and he, he, he would DM you if you wanted him. Yeah. Oh yeah, in a respectful <laughs> fashion. Yeah. He's very like, is it okay if I DM you? Like, and then if you reply, can I continue? <laughs> <laughs> I want to DM you with your consent. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's it's kind of like, and it's nice as well, the, the, the idea that like him 
waiting at the door and like other people coming in is endearing because like I suppose you're used to seeing um, movies where um, where maybe that 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 becomes kind of a point that like oh this this guy is kind of you know um, a, a wimp, or or that's why she yeah. doesn't like him or yeah. So it was, it, it, I think it, too, it, it brings in race as well because he's um, African American, and yes. he he ultimately I think there's a sense that this is a an, an, a, a the ooze particularly affects uh, white guys. Um, yes. Certainly, the rest of the frat seem to be white, and he seems to be only interacting with them in his capacity to supply audiovisual <laughs> equipment. And he's Which is very important with the cult, at yes. the end uh, the, their their indoctrination, as if he's kind of got something within him that allows him to kind of reject this sort of. Uh, poisonous programming. It's, uh, it's funny because I, when I watched it the other night, I watched the alternate ending as well. And the alternate ending has them all holding hands and then he has a little drip of the black stuff coming off his finger. And it really, it actually really annoyed me because I, like you, that's exactly what I took from it. When he's like, oh, I want to join this, the fraternity, I was thinking, you can't join, you're black. This yeah. fraternity is white. Like, look at the pictures on the wall. But so that kind of, I'm glad they didn't go that way because I think, I agree with you. I think he kind of is not immune to it, but he's definitely not as susceptible to it. But it's funny about that actor. He was cast in a show called Betty that came out this year that was a spinoff of Skate Kitchen. And in that movie, he gets me too'd for want of a better description. Um, it turns out that he, you know, has Milkshake kind of- Milkshake duct. Huh? Milkshake duct. Ha! <laughs> um, but he- uh, yeah, so I thought it was interesting rewatching it after seeing him on that show because he is, you know, he's quite a soft actor. He's got these kind of nerdy features and he's, you know, he's very cute and very sweet. And I thought it was very, I don't want to say brave, but it was very smart of him to kind of, or whoever cast him, to use that kind of against him in another role. Because immediately when it comes up on Betty, because, well, I mean, because I knew him from Black Christmas, but also because of how he looks and because of his kind of, you know, his style. Demeanor. Demeanor. Exactly. Yeah you're thinking, no way, this this can't be true. But that's exactly what they're getting at, is that you, you, the immediate response is not to believe, is to think, no, he's... it's And it happens in Black Christmas too, where that guy says to Riley, he never could have done what you said he did. Yeah, that's the guy sticking up for guys sort of thing. It's the stereotype yeah. of... Yeah. But it also, but it does play off, you know, our own prejudices, where we're thinking the nice guy... Because the guy... The person we know could never do that. Yeah. Exactly, and the guy who did it, I mean, he's not a big guy. You know what I mean? He looks, you know, he's kind of, he's quite skinny. He's quite kind of weedy. He is a true alpha, though, crucially. Ha! <laughs> he's a fighter, <laughs> a real man. The, I, I did want to see the uh, the alternate ending where Landon gets them to suck his fat fires. A point of the Supreme Court. Okay. Uh, All right. <laughs> no. That's not really a twist, though, is it, these days? No, no, it's not. Um, Actually, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm tempted to end on this, but I kind of want to bring back to, because um, I, 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 we do, we, we quite like the movie. Um, We've been kind of like quite, quite generous towards it. In terms of the genre shift, because this is something Bernice mentioned earlier, and it's actually something that I kind of did have a bit of a slight problem with uh, in terms of the movie, where it starts out as a conventional slasher movie, or close enough to a conventional slasher movie, in terms of its cinematic language, in terms of its pacing, in terms of the idea of, you know, there being lots of women and then being menaced by men. And then it becomes this kind of bigger, broader thing. It becomes this kind of systemic problem. 
Um, this idea kind of like that it's actually a, a secret cult of men who are using literal toxic masculinity to mind control and infect other men in a plan to take control of the United States uh, through its mechanisms of government, including the Supreme Court. And I love that he's thought this far in advance. I love that it's literally like he found out, la- you know, late, early last year that the this oozes toxic stuff that allows him to control people. It's like, yes, we're going straight to the Supreme Court with this. But I thought um, they'd already done it to a certain extent. Yeah. I thought that kind of, I know that, it, that they only just moved the bust in, but I kind of got the impression that it, they were already in the process, maybe not of going to the Supreme Court, but of, you know, at least getting them in there. Yeah, I, I did wonder if it kind of is in danger of undermining itself at times, because I worried when they brought, brought the black ooze in, is this going to be like a, a pat explanation for why these guys are horrible? Oh, there's a black ooze, therefore they're not fully responsible for what they've done. But the film, I think, to its credit, does establish ticket to Riley's story that there's been horrible stuff happening in this campus probably for as long as it has existed and after it's broken as well like after it's broken as well the guys continue to be they terrible do, it's not like the spell is yeah, broken that, to be yeah. clear absolutely i do it's not I as do. if good people turn bad they're kind of terrible all along and there's a sense that the frat environment has has awesome. exacerbated these yeah. tendencies already and then the ooze is really just putting it over the top i suppose i i, I kind of agree about that's you know the one big issue that I have with it is that I'm not sure it's not even that I'm not sure that stuff works I think it works just fine I don't think they really need it I actually Mm. think it would have been scarier if there was no black ooze it was just the frat are dicks and they were like you know what I mean they were because because this whole thing of oh it's specific women we're targeting specific women and the first woman who dies is because she was a conscientious objector and they kind of have that flashback to her because you're thinking what did she do but I think that stuff is way more interesting. I understand to a certain extent, it's probably more outlandish, but considering everything that's happened, particularly in the States, particularly on college campuses, if you look at something like Brock Turner and how he got away with it, even though, I mean, another man was the one who found him and he still, you know, he still got away with it. It was something like three months in prison. It's kind of not really that outlandish to think that a group of guys would just get together and be like, oh, whatever. You know what I mean? Let's get rid of these bitches. That may you know what I, I like mean? that the 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 kind of um, plus with the with the ooze. Because, because I love that we make it seem like a teenage mutant ninja turtle secret. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's you were happy the with ooze. the secret of the ooze. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. The, because it, it's 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 it, it's just a big kind of a heavy metaphor. You know, it's like like kind of you know um, you could do the same with science fiction, but like making it a a, a supernatural kind of um i guess gives people another way of looking into the what what is really kind of happening yeah well i mean it literalizes the idea of toxic masculinity that is masculinity that is toxic in that it looks like a toxic substance because it's black and oozy you'd wonder too was it brought in precisely because it adds maybe a level of distance to the actions that are happening um i'm thinking like you know you have things as well like elliot roger that scumbag driving around literally shooting i mean he did actually kill he killed his two male roommates i think but specifically targeting college girls i think it was the university of santa barbara so you have the you have have had and of course the horrible horrific um campus massacre in montreal of which the anniversary was i think a few days ago um the montreal polytechnic massacre which again was a proto incel type uh scumbag you'd wonder if in a way if if the frat wasn't supernaturally impaired or affected in some way would that be have almost been considered a bit too on the nose, um, and a bit too close, you know, particularly for a PG film, uh, to to real life in a sense where we, 
where we're, we're all, I think, aware that horrific things, including murder, have happened on college campuses, um, f- driven by similar impulses. Well, similar to the Bogdan, like the rejecting, ta- rejecting the targets pitch, basically, perhaps. Yeah, sort of thing. yeah, yeah. sir. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I did wonder that. Oh, so what are, they, what are they going to do with all the bodies? How are they going to explain? I'm sorry, I'm just thinking, you know. <laughs> what is the logistics of your evil plan? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to kill every single girl. And I mean, actually, I did wonder if there's a Ted Bundy-esque thing there where famously he targeted um, girls in a sorority house or women in a sorority house. Um, and and uh, That caused controversy around the actual, ironically enough to bring it back to the original 1974 Black Christmas, I think that it first aired on television a couple of days after that murder um, incident. Ooh. And that was, as you might imagine, quite a uh, hot potato um, in terms of controversy yeah. and, and media attention. But we'll include that in the show notes. Sorry, Joey, I cut you off. No, I was just going to say, I think the fact that it's mostly, you know, they're all kind of dead-eyed and it's mostly about control. I think that's quite a clever concept as well. Because they don't, they don't all need to be standing around spouting this hateful rhetoric. It's just the fact that, and that's the point that they're making, is that the majority of men who get sucked into these things just go along with it. They just kind of yeah, they just want to belong. Exactly. Like everybody, anybody who at all feels kind of different, any or... sense of detachment, kind of will 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 latch on to, to this whatever whatever it, it means. And it's also juxtaposing the two sides where the sorority is, you know, so loving and so fun and so warm. And then the fraternity, it, like, it's such a creepy house. You're thinking, who would live there? And it's, They look so dumb in their masks. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, like, it's, it is creepy. And it is. So I think that's an interesting juxtaposition as well, is that they're so warm and so chatty and so loving. And then you just kind of have these mindless drones who are just going around killing at will. You have to imagine the archery lessons are fun, at least, right? There has to be some sort of bonding activity there on that. They must right? have a mass construction workshop. Um <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering, do, do like people have their own masks, or do you like come and pick one and has it been properly sanitized? Is my question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm wearing Bob's mask, I can smell it. Um, <laughs> I do think it's scary too. There was this idea when it came out that because it was PG thirteen, it wasn't going to be scary because, as we've already said, you know, people assume it has to be gory to be scary. Even though I don't personally find gore scary, you know. So, but I think it is scary. I think. You know, the moment that scare in the attic and I've seen it however many times I've seen it now and you still can't pinpoint exactly when that's going to happen with the when she's plugging in the Christmas lights. The Christmas lights is, a, is actually a really, really clear. I actually really like the turning into the Christmas lights. I think Brilliantly timed because every time she goes to do, you know, there's something in that corner because of where the camera is and it zooms in just a little bit. So, you know, we need to be watching that corner, but you don't know exactly where you don't know exactly when. And I don't know. I also like when they're hiding in the kitchen and the camera goes up and you see that he's standing on the kitchen island. Like, I think they do, a lot of it's just kind of suspenseful. And then I think at the final act, once it turns into that whole showdown, I think it does kind of lose a lot of that tension. Yeah. Understandably so, because, you know, it's coming to its, its natural conclusion. But yeah, I think it is scary. And that first kill with the icicle, it's completely bloodless, but it's horrific. And the way she dies as a snow angel, like it's, I think it's a deceptively well shot movie as well I think Bloomhouse movies if you've seen a lot of them you know they all look the same they all sound the same and this one doesn't this one has it really feels like a Sofia Takal film 
it is it's worth noting actually there's a whole host of like really scary pg-13 horror movies movies like and jaws and even like you know we were talking about Bloomhouse. like what i would argue probably one of Bloomhouse's better films which is happy death day mm, is a oh, pg-13 yeah. movie and that's freaky. a pg-13 horror movie yeah and it, it's and actually like came out this year too yeah it's freaky pg-13 no, freaky I think can't it, be PG thirteen. No, Freaky's an or, but I'm saying sorry. Yeah. I was thinking of teenage horror movies. No, Freaky. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, there's at least one kill in that that is not PG thirteen. Are you allowed to put Vince Vaughn in a PG thirteen film? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's like it's. I mean, there's been this argument for years because I think kids horror. Anyone who grew up, as I'm sure we all did, with Gremlins, you know, with Jaws, like you said. I think kids and with the witches, and they've just proven with that kind of remake that was awful that that's very very hard to get right and i think kids horror is kind of getting a resurgence you know even goosebumps that came out a few years ago like there were parts of that the that Jack were pretty one, is it? Hmm? yeah yeah where he was Earl Stein. there are parts of that that are quite scary as well i think kids horror you know people discount it because there's you know there's not a lot of violence there's not a lot of gore but i think it can when it's done right when it's done suspensefully and cleverly it can be very scary and it's worth noting, actually, just to properly contextualize this, that uh, Black Christmas arrived kind of in a wave of what's been described as subversively feminist movies mm-hmm. last year, including movies like, say, Hustlers or Ready or Not as well. Oh, I love uh, Ready or Not. That's a great movie, too. Oh, that's one of my favorite horror films of the last year. I've watched it a couple really? times. Now. It, the yeah. ending, the final line is just... Oh, but you know what I love about, and again, this is, you know, it's a minor issue, but it's a big deal, I think, as a female horror fan. The styling the women in Black Christmas are dressed the way women would dress themselves. And in Ready or Not, one of the biggest moments is when she takes off her heels and she rips off the bottom of her dress and she puts her converse on. Because she's thinking, I can't fight for my life wearing these massive heels, wearing this huge, stupid ball gown. So I think stuff like that is really important too. Because again, that was a lot of the issues with the classic 80s slashers, as fun as they are. You know, you had these women running around wearing next to nothing. And you were thinking, if you're running for your life, would you not throw on something that, you know, you wouldn't be freezing your ass off? But, and I also think it's, it's kind of important to note the women in this movie are also normally sized women. And they're, you know, it's quite a colorblind cast as well, or at least the hero side of it. Obviously the fraternity are all white guys, like we've said, but I think that's important too, that we, you know, it's not just stick figures wearing crop tops. You know what I mean? It's normal, just normal chicks hanging out. That's worth noting, actually. Riley, Riley, like, actually looks quite like Marianne from uh, Normal People. She looks. I was watching. I was watching. I was kind of struck by that. How much she resembles, sort of. Yeah, David. uh, Sorry, Daisy Edgar Jones as well. I think. See, I think she's. I was very annoyed by the response to Normal People because I think she was the real hero of Normal People, not just in the book but in the show as well. And I think what she was doing was way, way more difficult than what he was doing. But he, for some reason, got all the praise. I mean, she did a great Irish accent as well. I feel really bad for admitting as a Trinity academic who literally works in the, in the department in which a lot of it's set, with a, a book that, that was written by one of our former students. I've never, I've never read or seen normal people and I feel really bad and I need to. But you've but lived normal people, Bernie. Yeah. Well, uh, myself and Darren are from Sligo, and we've never seen it either. And we went to Trinity, and we went too. to Trinity, so and, we're and, even and more at yeah. the same time. <laughs> yeah, like 
listeners can now imagine myself and Andrew's normal people experiences in Trinity. Um, <laughs> there's the my perfect own, Christmas scenes right now and GA tops. Yeah. yeah, yeah, myself and Darren and O'Neill's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, worth actually just singling out. I think I think Image and Poots is great here. Actually, I think Image and Poots does really good work here. Yeah, She's 30 years old as well, but she looks she actually looks like a proper student, which is remarkable. But there, but like there, there's a maturity though as well in in some of her performance. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't notice that, that like, I felt like that added to us, even though like, it sometimes feels like it's an older kind of actor, um, uh, playing us. But well, she's not quite Dawson's Creek level kind of, of older. Like she doesn't look yeah, like she's no. him. But, and sometimes it kind of requires us because I, the, the, this is kind of, um, like it, it's somebody who's had like a, quite a difficult, um, like the, this is somebody who's 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 been raped. Yeah. Um, so I yeah, they're, they're, yeah. So yeah, the the it it kind of works, I suppose, to for for her to 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 have um, um, some of that sort of maturity or weariness, I guess. I well, I um, I've loved her for years, and I've often thought that she. I don't know if she's got a bad agent, but she sort of gets like her roles are getting better as the years go on but i mean if you take this against something like green room or even against something like vivarium which came out kind of you know about a year i thought she was in green room she's great in green room great and she, i'm, yeah, I'm team bernice she, here yeah. Yeah. yeah she's so different as well but she is very very well cast here but i don't know i kind of love i mean i love the sort of i don't want to say the dumb the dumb girl but the sort of dizzy girl who you know asked the question about the ham and you know, I suppose she's sort of sweet is a better way of describing her. And then there's she, she the... asks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the girl with the ham. Um, and then there's the sort of the kooky one who says Merry Christmas from this Jew to you. And then there's, you know, the very, <laughs> the very pushy, hyper-feminist one, I think. I know you guys were saying you don't really get a chance to fully get to know all of them. And it is, you know, mostly focused on Imogen Poots. But yeah, I think they're all, I think they all kind of play their roles very well within their friend group and they also don't feel like arch- archetypes you know what i mean yeah which is important I mean, like I did, this i did like that most of the other characters in the film found her pushy friend as annoying as i did because <laughs> yeah it's but again I, I i i wanted to say i was like you know i i, I agree with you i agree with you on everything you're saying but tone it you know you're just you're you're quite you're expressing yourself in quite a obnoxious kind of manner here and i thought she was really actually really obnoxious to riley at certain points in the film and i think yeah. the film is aware of that that yeah. she's yeah. she's so and ideologically driven that she doesn't always consider that an actual human being is dealing with this trauma and isn't necessarily going to be willing to kind of wheel it out uh, to, uh, to order to fulfill a particular, I don't want to say agenda, because anytime I use the word agenda now, I sound like... Well, yeah, Bernice <laughs> has been editing the IMDb trivia section of this uh, of this film. Well, and I think I think that's an age thing as well I think a lot of young women who are growing up and who are frustrated particularly I'd say women of color and queer women you know especially I think they probably are you know just sick of staying quiet and they're sick of things not changing so I agree with you I think she is a tough character and she's a tough character to like I do think she eventually kind of comes around but I mean that moment in the car when Riley's telling her this is what's really going on and she doesn't believe her because it's so crazy I feel like that's very true to life. And the big argument they have is very true to life too, where she just puts it online without thinking, you know, and she doesn't care that she says that he's a rapist at the end and what that, what's that going to do to her? And, you know, she's going to become a target even more so. 
But yeah, I wonder if it's kind of an age thing that she's just kind of very, very gung ho and she'll calm down as she moves into her 30s and realizes, you know, there's easier ways to get things done. I mean, the film does present her as being totally vindicated by the end, because I think Riley says, you were right, I should have been fighting all along. And I have to admit, I groaned a little bit about that. I I was like, oh, you know, because I think there's... There's bits of the film like a, like uh, sort of message wise I agree with it like you know ninety nine point nine percent I hope that's mm. clear but I did think it was very heavy handed at times and I think I mean I think in its own way Get Out is quite a heavy handed potentially quite a heavy handed film but deals with but deals with its metaphors in a much defter fashion mm. than I think ultimately this film to refer to what maybe had time to do I think that's crucial but yeah. what like this was turnaround in like four months yeah and I, I mean I think that, that Sophia Tickles talked about I don't Sophia think Tickles they went through many drafts yeah Sophia Tickles talked about writing this in an Adderall fueled haze over the course of four ah. weeks um, yeah it has that first or second draft essay type situation uh and and like the the essays the like the drafts changed significantly like there was targets then there was a conventional slasher movie then there was this so like it wasn't like she spent four weeks doing this it was like she spent four weeks and at the end of it this was which i think to be honest is probably remarkable under the constraints I I don't say, think write something this, it's impressive yeah. for four weeks but do you also think not to give it a pass but do you also think it is so ham-fisted, it is so heavy-handed at times because of the target audience? Like, the target audience aren't me and Bernice who, are, you know, have yeah. lived enough of our lives that we, you know what I mean? It might be targeting women who are a bit like Riley, who maybe are a bit quieter, because I agree, I think that's kind of forced as well. I don't think she needs to say to her, you're right, I should have been fighting all along. I think that's obvious. But I wonder if I was me as a teenager and I was 15 or 16 years old, would I need it spelled out for me like that? You know, maybe I would, and that's kind of what they're going for. Is that the type of more a more mainstream audience as well? That's you know exactly. less they need this the, they, as, they, as they as they would be a younger audience as well. Though. Definitely, yeah. like if you're talking about the Friday multiplex crowd, like I mean, I have friends who God love them. You know, their taste in movies is a bit suspect, and for something like this, they wouldn't accept it unless it was laid out for them very, very clearly that you know she wasn't fighting. And now she has learned to fight and she has told her friend that, yes, you were right. Yeah. I should have been fighting. What, 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 what do you mean? Wall Street isn't an endorsement of greed? Yeah. What do you mean? Like Wall Street isn't about how greed is good? How was I not supposed to get that message? He said greed was good. Um, it's just a coming of age story. <laughs> it's like all that those ages to think born in the usa is a really rising film about american or a song about american patriotism yeah um, have you listened to the lyrics of that song by any chance about how terrible it is to be living in the usa as a vietnam veteran um but very quickly actually just to bring it back to, to that character the character of chris what i think is I, I think i do agree with you guys i think it's very heavy-handed um in terms of how it is spelled out but i find it interesting the way in which the narrative is framed so the bust is moved to the to the door to the frat house basically and when it's there it starts crying the black toxic ooze and that makes things worse and i find it interesting that you're maybe and again this is one of the things that you have to be very careful doing or, or kind of like playing with because it's a potentially dangerous not dangerous idea that makes it sound kind of nonsense but a potentially interesting or reactionary idea but the idea that like when activists push you immediately get blowback and so like for example a large part of the modern mra movement is a response to feminism it's to women standing up and saying actually no we would like 
you know, to be treated in the same way men do, to have the same advantages that men do. And so in response, you see this extreme push back against it. And I mean, again, you could argue this is the context for this being a Trump era movie, where one of the arguments was, well, Barack Obama was the first black president. So afterwards, you get Donald Trump. And I think Tenahasi Coates described well, it, Trump as... It's like the penance or kind of yeah, something well, in, no. in, in some... Well, no, it's, it's that... It's that like you 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 generate a reactionary back. So whatever you reaction, yeah, yeah. A reaction basically. Yeah, you, yeah, the pendulum effect or whatever. And I think it's kind of you know, I think that's interesting the film kind of suggests that where it's like getting the bus taken down ultimately makes matters worse in the short term but better in the long term, which I think is perhaps a bit more right. nuanced than nuanced than well you're right I should have been fighting all all along you were entirely right I was entirely wrong sort of thing perhaps or am I reading too much into it well I mean look what happened what's happened the last couple weeks at Matthew McConaughey we're just like you know just talking absolute rubbish about the oh liberals you're going too far now and we need to meet in the middle and all this you know just absolute bullshit like it doesn't mean anything and it's easy for someone in his position to say that because they don't actually have to deal with any consequences so yeah he's 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 known for for talking about how um, he loves Christmas ham because they 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 get older and he stays the same age. Oh. <laughs> well, well done, Andrew. Sorry, Sorry, Sorry Joey. Yeah. Any excuse to ham it up there, as Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Sorry, Joey, you cut you off. No, no, you didn't. Um, but that's you know what I mean. It's that it is playing into that kind of idea, and I you know what I mean. I don't agree with that idea that because it for some reason it's always the liberals it's always you know the democrats who have to go softly softly you know so it's it's something that i would personally reject but and i do think the film is probably getting at that in a certain way definitely um all right then is there anything else you want to discuss anything that we haven't talked about already anything jumping out at people about black christmas well i think our 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 time is is near Right. <laughs> um, yeah let's go eat some ham let, all uh, right no 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 more yip yap i will I briefly, enjoy yip yap. briefly mention that like the movie captures the anxiety that i feel whenever i get a text or a phone call <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, regardless of who it's from like even the sounds that it makes kind of makes you anxious yeah i do i do like when she gets the phone call and she's like who is this and then it just turns out to be someone's mum and they're like oh Riley hello is that you <laughs> who even phone calls anymore I love I, that even the even the killer in this movie DMs yeah, rather he than like phone you. calls <laughs> he sends a text message yeah because he knows you're not going to pick up an unrecognized number uh-huh. I, I did I did like the um, her reading of wait my parents are dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes I actually really like that moment as well and I like um, um, boys will be well you know like that's a great line as well. It is funny. It's yeah. kind of, but it's not self-consciously funny. It's you know, it's because there's this other argument that if you know, if something scary, it can't also be funny, which I don't agree with. And I think it kind of it balances that nicely. Like there are genuinely funny moments. All right, then I think that about wraps it up. Then unless there's anything else you want to talk about. So before we wrap up, what we do is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners, something you're enjoying at the moment. It can be something related to the movie we just discussed. It can be something completely unrelated. It can be something related to the season that we're in. So to give Bernice and, and Joey a chance to think about it, Andrew, what would you recommend for listeners? Um, well, I've already recommended Moon Cups, Diva Cups, um, uh, etc. But uh, 
Tampons. It, it, yeah, talk, talk to your doctor about whether it's right for you. Um, <laughs> and another um, another thing I'd recommend, I've, I've, I've been listening to a, a podcast um, with Gourley and Rust, who is, it used to be called um, In Voorhees We Trust, with Gourley and oh. Rust, and then he had to change his name um, when they started talking about um, Freddy Krueger. Movies that weren't Friday the 13th. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it, um, it became in in, in Kruger We Trust with Gruger and Rust. And, and then I think um, I think now it's... Um, oh, yeah. No, no, no. It, it, is, it is Freddy Krueger now. I think they've, they've changed it, though, to with Gourley and Rust. It's basically... Matt Gourley and Paul Russ talking about movies that I've never seen. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and I have no desire to because yeah, I already have a podcast yeah. where I made to watch movies. Just, <laughs> just kind of like they, they, they talk about it as kind of being an easy listening podcast where sometimes they tell the same stories <laughs> that they've already told, <laughs> like in a, in a previous episode, and they've forgotten that they've told the story. Um, okay. And no, on an unrelated uh, note, this will be our 213th episode. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so it's possible I've plugged this already. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'd, 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 I'd recommend that. Um, I mean, I, 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 I enjoy it. And it's a good thing, I suppose, like this podcast to put on maybe if you're kind of cleaning the Ambient mood. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we, do, we, get a lot, we get a lot of text messages like that, which we're, we're, we're glad people listen to us. But we're really glad when we get messages that are like, yep, I had it on while I was mowing the lawn or cleaning the house. It's like, yep, this is the right ambient level for it. Um, and Bernice, what would you recommend for listeners? Um, well, I think, funny enough, I mentioned this film about six months ago, the last time I was on and Pan- because pandemic, um, I've only just gotten to see it. Uh, Saint Maud, I got to see in the Irish Film Institute uh, about ten days ago, and I was really excited. Not just because I was getting to go to the cinema uh, for the first time in ages, but also because it's a film. It's my one of my most awaited films of this year. It's also I wouldn't say it's Christmassy, but uh, it has a religious theme. It's, a it's, a, it's about resurrection in some uh, senses. Young, yeah, he's very dedicated to God, and it brings you to some interesting and unexpected places, shall we say? But um, written and directed by Rose Glass, I think it's her debut film or de- debut feature, certainly. I thought it was superb. I was riveted for the whole film. Somebody walked out during the screening and there were only 16 of us there because of social distancing. So you could really notice. Um, and uh, yeah, you will you will never look at a pair of insoles and trainers the same way again is one thing else I'll point out. And I loved it. I think it does really interesting things with perspective and the on-screen depiction of of. Um, Meant, uh, psychological disorders and there's a lot of uh, nods to people I think like Shirley Jackson the great writer women in houses and things like that and uh, yeah I, I would recommend it with the caveat that um, I wouldn't say it's a cheerful film unless you're cheerful about the quality of contemporary indie horror um, but and it's a challenging film and it's an upsetting film but I thought it was brilliant and it lived up to expectations for me and I'm really eager to see what that director does next so and the, yeah, the, the lead actress was fantastic as well and if uh, you're Moffat Clark um, that's and if you're a fan of the Welsh language it uh, it does something really interesting with Welsh which is in a sentence I, I have nothing against Welsh but I don't see many films with a Welsh component in it um, and uh, yeah so I, I think Maud Maud really gives her patient L Huh? Is this Jennifer <laughs> L? Huh? 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 All right. Anyway, um, sorry. And Joey, what about yourself? What do you recommend? Um, let me think. So it's been obviously it's been a weird year for movies, but it's been quite a strong year for horror because horror kind of lives, you know, on the underground. It kind of lives on VOD. Um, we had Host this year, which you can watch on Shutter. It's terrifying. It's only an hour long. 
and it's really really great it's a zoom horror movie and it's just it was made for nothing and it's brilliant his house is on netflix that's another one that's really really good Remy and it's a debut and it's just yeah very very powerful and then if you're looking for festive horror like black christmas definitely watch you know better watch out is great i love krampus as well it's brilliant it's one from a few years ago um is that the um adam scott one yes adam scott and tony Collette are in it yes which is weird um but it's great that'll be in my rotation but then i was just thinking as well while we were talking april wolf has her own podcast called switchblade sisters where she interviews um female filmmakers and critics and writers and they talk about you know their favorite genre movies and movies that maybe influence them and it's really really great as well and i just was thinking about that kind of the whole time because she hasn't really talked that much about Black Christmas, but whenever she talks about it, it's because for me, it's interesting. And I'm sure for you guys, too, because she was a critic before and to sort of transition into making horror movies. That's kind of interesting. Um, but that's definitely one to listen to. That's how she met uh, Sophia Tikal. Um, yeah. Sophia Tikal was on the podcast and apparently yeah. they got talking and that's how she ended up co-writing it. Because um, apparently after the Adderall binge, there was a point where it's like, yep, I might need some assistance. <laughs> Which is understandable given the constraints under which you're operating. Um, and for myself, uh, yeah, some quick recommendations. It's Christmas. Um, so if you are in Ireland, um, you can watch Soul on Disney+. Plus. Uh, if you're in the States, you can see uh, Promising Young Woman is finally opening <gasps> in cinemas over there. And it's great. Um, it's going to be a very, very interesting one to talk about. Um, in terms of Image and Pooch, she was in Vivarium earlier this year, which I really liked, which is mm-hmm. an Irish horror film. Great. Um, and and I, I apologize, Bernice, in advance for this. Uh, it's available at home media now. And it's one of my favorite films of the year. Tenet is, is now available in Hope oh, Media. Oh, boo! <laughs> boo, yeah. Re- read the room. Nolan, I go on! It's on the Google movies. Come on, he might never be able to make another movie if, if we don't watch this. He was Men like, aren't giving, giving chances. Uh, I literally, like, go to the cinema and risk your life because you have to see this. I mean, seriously. Hold on, yeah. hold on, okay, well, hold on. First of all, Warner's... You can hear the indecipherable dialogue on the screen. <laughs> Okay. Oh my god, All nothing right. happens. <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel like that's a separate two-hour discussion, but it is important to note that Warner Brothers were the ones who insisted on the release date for it. And in fact, the release that it had was the latest release and date. And the Warner Warner's sister does. <laughs> yes, she's, culpa- she's culpable too, to be Women. clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All right then. Um, so yeah, so that would be my recommendation, but don't take my word for it. Um, all right then, if people are looking for a bit more Bernice and a bit more Joey online, where can they find you guys? So Bernice, where are you at? Um, I'm on Twitter somewhat as Murph Gothic. Perfect. Oh, and the Vineyard book, because I feel like we set it up, we have to pay oh, it yeah. off. When I, and I got good news. I actually have a book contract for it now. So it's a book that I am contractually obliged to finish next year. It's called The California Gothic in Fiction and Film. And uh, I'm really excited about it, actually. Um, so uh, hopefully at least three people will purchase and read it. Well, well, this is great news, Bernice. I feel the need to ask, did you watch the Californian Vineyard horror movie before or after you got the contract? Um, before, before. And <laughs> I, I'd like to see it clinched it for me, but it didn't. But I, I hope that Edinburgh University Press just sensed my commitment to the project was such that I spent a Saturday afternoon watching Visions. <laughs> Visions. <laughs> Um, I look forward to having a good whine about it. And Joey, where can we find yeah, you? I was waiting for that one. Thank you. I saved the best it for didn't last. Didn't disappoint. Yeah. No. Or did I? Um, but Joey, where can we find you online? I'm on Twitter at Joey LDG, which stands for Living Dead Girl, which is a Rob Zombie song. Sorry, Bernice, but that's what it is. I lost a lot of respect there. Oh no, I've nothing against his music. Just this I think we all lost a bit of respect for you there, Claire. <laughs> to be fair, I, I I really admire Bernice's persistence. Uh, sorry, 
position of I'm glad that he gets to do what he wants to do and he feels fulfilled. I just don't want to have to watch it. Um, that's a very mature position. You know, I happily have a beer with Rob Zombie about it, not during a screening of one of his films. Have you seen Lords of Salem, though? Because that's kind of his magnum opus. So if that one wasn't for you, then yeah, stay, stay away. <laughs> stay far away. <laughs> it gets worse from there. I'm traumatized. I did have to write part of a book, chapter once, about... Um, Oh God! What's the one? Where, they do use Freebird well. I'll give them that. Oh yes, um, the Devil's Rejects. I love that ending. Devil's Rejects. Um, so I did. Uh, I am a big fan of the song Freebird. It's <laughs> all right. Thinking people are. Um, so I'll give. I'll give them some. I did. I did enjoy that sequence. But that. So that's that. Uh, that's my highest praise for Rob Zombie. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a good note on which to end. Um, and you also uh, you also write for a variety of places as well. Is there anywhere we can find your work in particular? Yes, I write for Wicked Horror. Um, I write for a place called The List, uh, Vague Visages. I did write for Birth Movies Death when it was still a thing. Oh, sorry, yeah. But yeah, you can find me pretty much lots of places. All right, then, um, for ourselves, uh, we preempted um, our Dune episode to talk about uh, this, uh, talk about Black Christmas this this week. Next week, because it's releasing St. Stephen's Day, the wonderful Niall Murphy will be joining us to talk about Citizen Kane, possibly the greatest movie ever made. And then to bring in the new year, we will be talking about David Lynch's Dune uh, with the wonderful Charlene Lydon and the fantastic Joe Griffith. So we're really looking forward to that. Uh, take it easy, guys. We'll be back next week. Bye. Thank you so much, Bernice. Thanks Thank so cheers. much, Thank guys. Thank you. Happy right, Christmas. Cheers. Yeah, and God bless us, everyone. There's no more protecting you. No, he said, she said what was true. Don't say that this was all my fault. Because what you did is called assault. Ho, 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 I didn't know. Ho, 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 I didn't know. You're stepping in the front.